0: This is Steve Ludzik, and I'm with The Sheriff.
1: Welcome, everybody, to an exclusive episode of The Sheriff, Guys, I am absolutely blessed to have one of my old buddies with me right now. Now, this gentleman happens to be, in my opinion, the master of the craft of stick handling and handling the puck. This gentleman also carries lots of hats and has a lot of accolades. He is a Jack Ferguson Award winner, M's Family Award, CHL All-Rookie Team, CHL Top Prospects Game, Memorial Cup Champion with the legendary London Knights, Eddie Powers Memorial Trophy winner, CHL First All-Star Team, a two-time AHL All-Star, and ladies and gentlemen, was part of the top scoring line for the famous Modo team from Sweden in the Swedish Elite League. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Robbie Schrempf. How are you doing this evening, my friend? Doing great,
0: Sheriff. Thanks for having me on, buddy. I appreciate the intro and I appreciate you having me on. And I look forward to this conversation with you and and having some fun for a little bit here. Thanks a lot, buddy.
1: Well, I'll tell you one thing, Robbie. We got to be honest with our listeners. This is our second attempt with this recording. (laughs) And I got to give you some credit, man. Like, first of all, I want to let the listeners know what the theme is to this episode. And then we're going to tie it into what happened last night. Now, first of all, skill, dangles, and determination. That's what the theme of this episode is, and it's going to come up several times throughout the episode, and it's all going to make sense. Now, determination, that was an example of last night and today, because, ladies and gentlemen... Um, My special guest today, Mr. Robbie Schramm, he did help me because there was some technical difficulties and we're able to figure this thing out and we're rocking and rolling now. But I kind of want to explain to the listeners where you were last night, Robbie. Now, you were at a family cottage, you were saying?
0: Yeah, we get a family cottage here in in Latvia. It's it's in a town called Salt It's about an an hour outside Riga. It's right on the Baltic Sea. It's really out in the nature, in the forest, so... Wi-Fi is shoddy and the internet connection shoddy so it's it literally depends on like how cloudy it is there <laughs> if we get Wi-Fi so last night was a major struggle and I was really excited to get on the podcast with you and get this you know get on here with you and talk it's been a long time since we saw each other so when you reached out I was really excited to, to get this opportunity to chat with you and get something on a recording so um, determined to get it down and get it done so we came back in the city today and we now we got good Wi-Fi so we can hook back up and and talk some hockey for for a little while.
1: Yeah, buddy, I'm just absolutely loving it. I'm I'm loving it for a couple different reasons. And one reason is I really want the listeners to get to know Mr. Rob Shrimp because Mr. Rob Shrimp to me as a hockey person, dude, you absolutely mastered the craft of dealing with the puck, just all the dangles and skill that it takes to be able to handle the puck the way that you can. Now, I want the listeners to to realize where the beginnings came for Mr. Robbie shrimp, Fulton, New York, Fulton, New York. I want you to talk a little bit about Fulton, um, how you grew up there, mom and dad, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah. Fulton, um, you know, grew up from the time I was four years old, started playing hockey. My cousins, my, we had two older cousins, Jeff and Chris, uh, they're a bit older, about 15 years older than us, my brother and I. So when we were kids, you know, fourteen uh, four. They were around, you know, whatever. They are around, uh, what would, Chris is 15 years older, I believe, and Jeff is a couple years younger. So they were right around the high school age. So that's where we kind of grew up, MLI, like uh, emulating and, and kind of idolizing, watching them play high school hockey. And, um, and that kind of kick-started our, our hockey side of things. My dad was more into, you know, basketball, baseball, football. He played everything else but hockey. <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of his eye that we played. So Chris and Jeff played, and my Uncle Mike, their dad, coached hockey. So that's how we kind of we gravitated towards hockey. Uh, funny story, actually, when I was eight years old, I didn't sign up for hockey. I was going to quit and play basketball. And uh, my next door neighbor, Robbie Williams, who was a big part of my, my youth and, and kind of a big part of my success, actually, as an athlete, we grew up every day playing, you name it. We played the cross, we played baseball, we played basketball in his backyard, shot hockey pucks, we did everything. So uh, the day that I, you know, the time that I didn't sign up for hockey, Robbie Williams had these; they were called flak shoulder pads, and I, I loved them. Right, so I didn't play hockey, and I was going to go play basketball. The day of basketball starting, Robbie Williams was like, "Hey, if you play hockey, I'll give you these shoulder pads." So I skipped basketball and I went back and played hockey. Uh, no way. Know, in hind, hindsight, it was it was the right move. You know, I grew up. I mean, I blossomed earlier, so to speak, or hit a spurt at like 11 or 12 years old to, to get up to like five ten, five eleven, but. Uh, up into my teen years, being 5'10", 5'11", with an 18-inch vertical, I don't think my basketball career was going to go anywhere. So yeah, I think hockey was the right move. But, yeah, no, I grew up in Fulton, and, and the rink was about, you know, probably seven or eight blocks away from my house. So um, around the time I was 10 years old, a guy named Don Kernan uh, took over the, the Fulton Ice Arena. He was a guy from uh, Syracuse area. And once that once that happened – uh, we got to know him really well, and he told my family anytime you guys want to use the rink, Tyler, Robbie, anytime they want to skate, it's open. So that was a huge, you know, turning point for me as well. I got a chance to to get on the ice. Literally, I spent I was a rink rat, and everybody knew it. From the time I was 10 to 15 years old, I spent you know six, seven, eight hours a day at that rink. And anytime you know when the team would go off and before the Zamboni would get on, uh, Zamboni would get on the ice, I'd go out and shoot 10, 12 pucks. And Zamboni guy would be like, "Get off! You know, you're gonna." You're going to put one of those in the Zamboni and ruin the Zamboni. So I took advantage of that, um, what Mr. Kernan offered, and I ran with it. And that's really kind of, uh, for me, it was a big turning point in, in my hockey, so to speak. I took it a lot more seriously. I fell in love with the game at 10 years old, and I, and I was obsessed with the rink and shooting pucks. And just I, I really fell in love with the game. And before then, it was just, it was just a sport to me to, up till 10 years old. It was, you know, in the wintertime, you played hockey. In, in the summertime, you played baseball, lacrosse. Uh, different sports and the hockey stuff kind of never even never even thought about it until October kicked around and started to get cold again in upstate New York so um, That was the kind of turning point at 10, 10 years old and I really again spent a lot of time at that rink and uh, Don Kernan's son Donnie Kernan jr. And Blair white are two people that really stick out to me um, My dad got me in time. Uh, my brother and I had lessons with Donnie Kernan jr. And this guy is somebody that to this day uh, is still has he still has the best shot that I've ever seen in my life, and he taught my brother and I how to ah. shoot, and that's that's saying that's saying a lot. And I mean, and I'm not just saying it to pump his tires. I played in every top league in the world, NHL, AHL, KHL, SHL, you name it. I played in it pretty much. And Donnie has the best shot I've ever seen, the best release I've ever seen. So uh, it was a really fortunate resource to have so close to home in Fulton, New York. You know, that the dad took over the rink. He was there running it and. Out of the blue, my dad saw him shoot one day. He was like, "Hey, do you mind teaching my boys how to shoot?" He said, like, "Yeah, sure, absolutely." So, um, it was it was really a lucky break for us. And that guy changed my whole life because at t- ten years old, I started doing those lessons. And eleven years old, I scored around uh, between 350, 400 goals that season playing for the Syracuse Elite. Uh, Syracuse Elite Triple A Crunch was our name. It's kind of a long name, mouthful. But yeah, Chuck Bloomquist, you nailed uh, it though so that was that's where it kind of took off for me and then you know kind of you know once that year 11 years old happened then then summer hockey started coming into play and teams started seeing me play at 11 they were like we want you to play for our teams in, in the summertime and hockey really took over uh from there and there was no other sports I, I dropped lacrosse when i was you know turning 12 years old and just focused again i was playing like in the summertime i was probably playing like 30 tournaments different yeah. teams different age brackets it was pretty cool so that's a kind of up to that age bracket where where my life led. Starting in Fulton, it was, uh, you know, not it wasn't really known for that developing hockey players at all. It's yeah. a small town, factory town. My dad uh, was a factory worker. My mom works, still does work, um, as a stock clerk at the hospital. So hardworking family. Um, there's six of us in the family. I have three siblings, obviously, and and two parents. And uh, yeah, we, they made it work, and they worked their ass off to give us what we needed and, and get us a chance to follow our dreams and chase what we want to do. So it was, it was a, it was a great setup growing up and um, yeah, it was pretty cool.
1: That's amazing, bro. There's two things I really want to touch up on here. Now, the first one is, is that Robbie, I had, in, in a lot of the research that I did, man, it it, it it widely states the dedication and time that you put in at the arena mastering this craft of stick handling and improving yourself as a hockey player. Now I'm reading it over and over and over again. The hours, the hours put in, I'm like, how did this guy have access to this? And now it's all making sense. So this is incredible. So you guys are given an opportunity to pretty much have ice when no one else is using it at the city arena in Fulton. Correct. Yeah. And you jumped all over this.
0: And then some. <laughs> yeah, did, bro. I take it to the max, so I remember I used to get I used to get shit all the time too, because there would be the, they had like the insulation around the rink. It was like it's basically just like you know taped to the wall. That silver uh, yeah. insulation. Oh yeah. If you missed if you if you're shooting pucks outside the rink or not outside the rink inside the rink but outside the ice surface. I'd always yep. be shooting these nets. Obviously, there were some some aired shots, and I'd put it through. And Donnie Kerr and Junior, I I got kicked out of there. I probably got kicked out of there 150, 200 times. That's it. Get out of here. Go home. <laughs> so, you're,
1: now you're done. You're out of here now. <laughs> I told you. Oh, I yeah. told
0: you. Don't mess the place up. So I was persistent, though, and never deterred me. I got those guys fired up sometimes. But, you know, they were like big brothers to me. And there was like a family for me there. I felt so comfortable in that rink. You know, literally, I mean, I I remember the one-year spring break. I was skating 10 hours a day. And by the fifth day, my feet were like, you know, absolutely tore it apart and I still want to go back. My parents t- uh, took my skates away from me and hid them from me. And, uh, it didn't deter me. I ended up when my mom and dad went to work, I found the skates and went right back to the rink. So I love that place. And it was, it was such a big, you know, it was such a big place for me and a, most, uh, a very important place for me growing up. It was, again, it was super comfortable there. I had great kind of like mentors there with Blair and, and Donnie Kernan Jr. And it was awesome. Cause it's, you know, the end result was what I got to create out of my career, um, making it to the NHL, being drafted to the NHL. Even, you know, first round was, was amazing and getting a chance to play in the NHL and play all over the world. It really started from that. It blossomed from that mentorship and that, you know, opportunity that I was presented. And, you know, it's, it's really special. So it's pretty cool. Pretty cool story and, and some great people and, you know, helped me and getting to where I got to go to.
1: Unbelievable story. I want to make sure I'm getting this last name right now, Robbie. So it's is it Curran? Like Kernan, C- K-
0: K-I-R-N-A-N. Kernan. Don okay. Kernan, so, okay, so Kernan now,
1: okay, so now Donnie Kernan Jr. that's that's the man with the shot, right? Oh my god. Unbelievable. Let's he talk about this shot a little goalies. bit. Let's talk about this release a little bit. First of all, what is he? A righty, lefty. He's a righty. Okay. Which is awesome, because if you don't shoot right, you shoot wrong, Robbie. <laughs> yeah, this is a guy with seven or eight career pro goals saying that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I'm just joking. Okay, so, so he shot right, right? Yeah. And, and you're saying that this is a man that had the best release that you've ever seen, a player that's played at every level on the, in the best leagues in the world
0: absolutely i've never seen anything like it and the, the, the quickness of it the accuracy of it and the technique on it uh still to this day it's, it's stuff that i pass along now when i do my lessons and work with kids i always talk about the exact tips that donnie gave me and uh wow you know it always makes sense so donnie's i mean you, and we used to like this is back in the wooden twig times too right like we weren't <laughs> leaning on you know this high level technology stuff so it was like titan wooden twig sherwood t- wooden twigs kind of Lumber almost, and this guy could just manipulate the puck. And uh, I saw him probably four or five years ago. I went back i was around Syracuse area, and uh, we got on the ice together, and, and nothing changed. Like, he still had that pop. I was like, holy how crap! Like, this, how old sick.
1: would he be now, Robbie? Uh,
0: mid 40s, probably 40. Okay, yeah, he would know he'd probably be, yeah, I guess he'd be around right around 50 ish, yeah, right on. I'm not sure how, yeah. So, Donnie, when I was like, yeah, so i have been nine, ten years old, he was mid 20s, yeah. So right
1: around 50. Dude, that's such a cool story, man. Another thing I wanted to talk to you about was, I mean, I know that obviously at this time, you know, when you were 10, 11, 12, you started getting really noticed, dude, because you had a skill that no other kids in the region had. You, you're, you're probably known as the best player, right, Robbie, from the region, right? So now the Quebec Wee International Tournament, in Quebec City, Mister Benum, the Pee Wee 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 Wee, the Pee Wee Carnival. Buddy, tell me about the two. I, I know you went there consecutive years, two years in a row. Tell me about your experiences and the attention you must have gotten at that tournament, bro.
0: Yeah, that was a. It was wild. The first time I went was the '85 birth year with the Rochester Americans, and uh, Michelle Fournier was the coach. Uh, it was. It was. It was awesome. It was cool in the sense. Didn't really know much about the tournament. Knew it was pretty awesome. and knew it was a big tournament, but didn't know the depth of it and, and the excitement around it and, you know, what it actually entailed. You know, the city being a festival for the, for the event and all that good stuff. You don't really get to realize that when you go there. Or, if I mean, obviously, when you're from Canada, you probably have a much better idea of what the Tournament in Quebec is, right? I think probably 10, 11 years old, you're gearing up to get there with, with every team or, or not. Right. I, I, I was not. It was more of a random offering of, like, we'd like Rob to come with us kind of thing. So, we went up there, and, and it was a blast. we had a blast playing with Jimmy Bergio. Um, there was a bunch of guys in that team. We just we had a great group, and we had a blast. We were kind of an underdog team. Um, so the you know, the other thing is that I I'd seen a little bit of the Trinity in Quebec because Don Kernan had won it with a, with a pretty sick group like Tim Conley, Drew Bucktooth, um, JD Forrest. There's a there's a big list of guys that actually had some really successful careers. Um, you know, Drew fell off, Bucktooth, not fell off, but he actually stopped playing. He went to Oshawa, played in the OHL, stopped playing, and then wound up playing Division One lacrosse at Syracuse University, which is huge. Like, SU lacrosse wow. is, oh, is yeah. nasty. Oh, yeah. So he was a sick athlete. And um, But anyways, I, that's how I kind of heard. Like, Don used to show those tapes at our camp. He'd run some camps, and he'd always show the Tour Quebec championship this team winning, and a lot of the stuff that he was kind of implementing in that Syracuse area, the scissor cycling and three-on-twos and, you know, changing the angles and shooting and this sort of stuff was pretty, uh, you know, it was a lot different than what most people had seen around there, and Don was bringing that to that area. So that's where you see a lot of offensive guys started developing were through Don Kernan because he brought these new ideas. He got a chance to go to, like, World Junior Camps at Lake Placid and learn from the Swedes and learn from the Finns, and, you know, they had those camps there, and some of the Russians were there. He um, get to pick up a lot of those details, and he bring it back to Syracuse and develop um so anyway it was really it was really beneficial for for myself and anybody in the area that wanted to learn how to play offense don was pretty much the innovator in doing so so um we went up to the tourney quebec that first year we i mean we just had an absolute uh, absolute blast it was so much fun there was not much expectation it was just let's go enjoy this time and my family all came we went up there and it was a huge celebration and uh, I think my dad and the coach Michelle Fournier probably probably set a record for drinking those 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 canes of the benum. I think it's uh, what was it what was the caribou caribou uh, I could
1: probably ask my mom she'll probably remember was it caribou <laughs> <laughs> that's probably what it was
0: yeah it's it's a mixture of wine and whiskey I believe it was but those guys were out having a blast every night and then for the for us as youngsters as the hockey side it was so cool going to Colisée there's 12,000 people on the stands for a pv game it was it was like eye opening and it was it was so much energy and like it was so cool that was my my excuse me, my eye opener to it and it was so unique and and then the next year i went as my own age gra- own uh age bracket and it was a little bit different that year went very different
1: very different
0: yeah it was it was more of a pressure cooker a uh, lot of attention you know a week I think a week or two before the before the actual tournament the, the big paper there wrote an article comparing me to Gretzky Lemieux um which was cool but also you know when you read it I read it it was in French You got it translated but it was really cool a lot of pride in that obviously being compared to those people I was it was pumped to have that but then once I got to the tournament the other part of it came the attention you know and it was really like a spotlight and everybody was kind of all over us and yeah, you know, there was like equipment companies all like in the stands with my dad, and my dad just sitting there wants to watch and just enjoy and kind of getting—I won't say hassled, but hounded a little bit. Yeah, and that was new for him too, right? Like I'm what 13 years old. Like he didn't—I don't know—he didn't have any expectations of like any of that. My dad, again, working the hard working in the factory, and me rising to this level and having this attention. We, I didn't do it. I didn't play hockey for that either. My dad didn't put me in hockey for that. <laughs> so yeah, no, it was exactly. a little bit like what is going on and again it was a little bit more pressure cooker that year so it was it was tougher to enjoy uh, i felt like you had to you know just spell like eyeballs on you at all the time so it was it was a, again a little bit uh the first year i really enjoyed it because it was under the radar nobody really people knew who I was but it wasn't like the 85 birth year too is sick like you got like yes. anthony stewart was a monster like anthony stewart was the talk of the town there he was playing for the i think it was the toronto uh the canadians
1: yeah yeah the north york canadians my brother patrick my brother patrick mcmorrow played on that same team with anthony and and rain carnegie and all these guys man yes that's right yeah buddy they were all on the
0: same team rain was sick they had a sick team and i remember watching like stewie was a stewie was a monster right like yep man he was nasty so that was nice because all that attention was there (laughs) (laughs) so it was perfect Honey Bake was that. a really good team that year. I don't can't remember the names on that team, but I remember Honeybake was sick. Like they tore the tournament up and they were they were a powerhouse. So um yeah, that 85 birth year was it was a great experience to go see. And again, I was good for my age, but those guys were a notch above for sure. Like, so I got to learn a little bit from them too, watching how they played and seeing some of the dangles they did and some of the moves they made and playing at that level, what it took to dominate. So it was a good, really good learning experience that first year.
1: Yes. Now that was probably the first taste that you got of that level of attention, though, right, Robbie?
0: Oh like, yeah, from the media and... and yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was. It was again uh, an eye opener and and, and really kind of let our family know. Like, I guess we're on the map a little bit. You know, <laughs> I guess I guess people know who we are. Um, oh yeah, on a kind of a larger scale. You know, it's not just the upstate upstate uh, New York area now it's kind of more this is really starting to grow
1: yeah and like I I know that you mentioned uh Mr. Tim Connolly. what was I, I got a chance to to play a little bit with him like in training camp and preseason with Buffalo right and how how close were you guys in distance of where you guys grew up now he was he right in Syracuse like he was a Syracuse boy right
0: he was 10 miles from me in Baldwinville, New York so the uh, Lysander Arena was where he kind of grew up. That was right around the corner from his house. That was 10 miles from my house. Spent a ton of time up there as well. And Don Kernan was the mutual guy there as well. Don was his mentor.
1: Okay. His so teacher. both of you.
0: Yep. So Don started with Timmy and, and um, took them from PBA John up until he, he got drafted in the OHL. Uh, he coached him in the, um, you know, part of that was Don got the team from Syracuse into the, at that time, I think it was called the Metro League, the Junior A League. It yes. turned into the Ontario. That's a junior so eight. Yep. It's kind of like changed a lot, but that, I mean, those days, I remember going up and watching those games. They had some, like the 20 Hawks and yep. there were some wild, like that was a great <laughs> eye opener for me as a youngster too. seeing like, again, that level of hockey, having those Canadian teams come down and there were some, some great players that played in that league, but there was also like tough hockey too. Like it was, it was old school. It was old-school.
1: back in that era, man, when fighting oh, was yeah. still a big part of the game. Right, Rob? Yeah. yeah,
0: It was huge. That- so.
1: Now, now it, it's interesting that we're bringing this up now, because this is perfect, because it must have been a, a process for you and your family to decide what the next move was going to be. Like, like, you guys ended up deciding to play in the Ontario Hockey League, right? But there was other options that you could have taken. Obviously, you made the right one. But what was that process like because you were in the O when you were 16, right, Robbie?
0: Yeah, I got drafted first overall out of that Ontario yeah. Provincial. I started playing at 14 in that league, in the Ontario Provincial League, and had a really good year in my rookie year. Again, that was another stepping stone. And then at 15, I was top, I think it was top three year, led the league. I was very close to leading the league my second year uh, in that league. So there was kind of like a progression. And the OHL was that it was just the, you know, for me, it was that advancement and taking the next challenge for, uh, otherwise if I would have gone 50, 16, 17, 18 year old year, I would have had to play another league in junior and maybe I could have gone to the USHL or something along those lines, but I thought the OHL was that next step for me and watching how Timmy's career kind of blossomed and he went, to, you know, drafting the OHL, went and lit it up and then got drafted first round in the NHL. That's really kind of, that's the, you know, advice that we were getting and the mentorship that we were getting and, you know, kind of the guidance. So there was, there was never really a game plan per se. It wasn't like we're going to the OHL. It was again, I jumped into that Ontario Provincial League cause it was right at home. I didn't have to move anywhere. I was getting flown out at 14 to, to other places. Uh, in the North American league, USHL teams wanted me to come at 14 and play there, but I, I was fortunate enough to stay home with my family and play for Don Kernan and play in a really good league. So I was lucky to have that, you know, resource at home. Um, but, again, at 15, it was time to make that next jump. I was ready. I scored almost, I think it was 95 points my second year. And I was just about game. to say,
1: Robbie, I'm not letting you off that easy. I know you're a humble guy. Let's, let's read out these stats because I'm a stat guy. So, now, this must have been, you must have been 14 your first year, right? In the, in yeah. the, in the OPM and MJHL, right? Dude, so, in 49 games... This guy has 32 goals, 46 assists, 78 points in 49 games as a 14-year-old. Let's go to the second year. (laughs) 49 games again, Robbie. 42 goals, almost a goal a game. Let's add 51 assists. Let's make it 93 points for the the 15-year-old in junior, right? This is like Connor Bedard numbers type of deal, right, bro? So now... Now, th- this, is, this is where it gets really exciting for me because I love it when I have fellow guests intertwining in their own careers, right? You're the first overall pick to the OHL, okay? Now, that's a pressure cooker, but this is a kid where you love a challenge. Your competitive level, Rob, was probably so high at this point because you just wanted to be the best at what you could do, right? Right. So this first overall stuff did that just motivate you? Because a lot of kids, it would it would make them a little timid. But how was it for you?
0: Yeah, no, I, I I thrived. I mean, I was really coming from a young age, twelve years old on. I mean, I was very competitive and you know borderline cocky. But I, it, it, coming from where I came from, I had a lot of attention and some of it not good, some of it negative, and that kind of put put us layer of skin to me and from then on it was like i'm not gonna be nobody's gonna bully me like i so it kind of put a shield on and i went for the i want to be the best when i was 12 years old shooting on that's a 12 years old i was on the ice with don kernan with those junior a guys like the metro league goalies he'd bring me out to shoot on him and these guys would look at me look at don and be like come on don like this is a joke i'm 12 like 12 year old kid don's like you know just get in the net and he'd be like Boom, boom. <laughs> I just start picking them apart. And then Don would, would just start you? laughing. He's like, yeah. He's like, hey, I, 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 why don't you get out of the net now? Next one. So I got a chance to shoot on those goalies and challenge myself at a young age. And from that time growing up at 12, I was always on the ice with older kids. So I always had something to prove. And I wanted to be better than them. They're two, three, four years older than me. And I wanted to be better than those kids. Not kids my own age. I wanted to be better than the older kids. And I always chased that. And, and I wanted to be the best. So when it came my year to be drafted in the OHL, I want to be the best 86. And, you know, there was this talk about that time. I remember there was a Wes O'Neill kid that was out there and they were saying like, Oh, he's going to decide on what he wants to do or pick and choose. I'm like, no, he doesn't have a choice. Like I'm actually going to be the number one overall pick. I don't give a shit what Wes, excuse my earpiece came out. That's all right,
1: buddy. I love the intensity. (laughs) So
0: so yeah. So then it was like that. And I really had that challenge and it was like, no, no, I'm going to put myself on the map. So that 15 year old year in the Ontario provincial, I was definitely shooting to put that, there's no doubt who's going to be number one overall. <laughs> so. so now what about the, what about central scouting and all that? What did, what, what did they have to say about
1: that? Like, were you rated first or were, did you, did you guys kind of go back and forth? Like how, how was the rating leading up to the draft?
0: Yeah. Going into that. Cause he was a big kid too. He was like six two yeah. he was a 15 yeah. year old, big, diff, I mean, that's a coveted position, right? Six, two at 15 playing D could, he was a good player too. Like had the skill and could move the puck and that sort of thing. So, that's like a really, you know, that's a, what do you call it? Like a kind of a blue chip prospect, you know? Yeah. But, and that's tough to go against, but didn't bother me. I was like, I'm going to put up so many points. It's not even going to be a question. It won't even matter. I don't care if he's six, nine. It's like, watch this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> watch this. I hear you, man. I love and it. I had, I had some other fuel too. I remember when I was 14 years old, there was this, there's this, uh, you know, scouting report out there called the red line report. And these guys started bashing me and my family. Uh, at 14 years old, calling me a coach killer and uh, basically just absolutely shredding my my character. And at that time, I'd grown up playing for Don Kernan and some really good people. All these people that I played for were like, I mean, at 14, how are you a coach killer? It's not even a business, it's youth hockey. So, yeah, you know, that, that's like ridiculous. In yeah, the show. And there's been, I've been in the show for whatever eight years, I've gone through eight coaches, and I'm not the one leaving. The coaches are, they're talking about me like this when I'm 14 and like blasting that kind of character and that started some some weird stuff so again i had some fuel in my tank and some you know thickness to my skin at that point and that was a big reason for you know growing up i i, I put a chip on my shoulder and was basically like i'm going to show everybody like you know i felt like not everybody was against me so to speak but you never know who's talking shit about you yeah trying to cut your knees out and that's how i had to kind of carry myself and um it's unfortunate but so going into that i had that at 14 again these guys writing these kind of reports, I had going in my 15 old they're talking about the decision is going to be whether you know west picks this or west picks that i had some stuff where i was like no no no, i'm gonna i'm gonna prove. watch this so that yeah, fired me off and it gave me some some motivation and certain people are motivated by different things you know you talk about like playoffs or so he's talking about like uh you know don't ever give them that the other team that quote to to give them momentum you know yeah, uh, yeah. for me at a young age those couple things were were things that were momentum for me and um, you know, I remember even when I was 12 years old, I was supposed—I to, I wanted to play band of majors, which was 14, 15 year olds, 84s and 83s. And they were making us think about it. Where I was playing, and they were like, "You got to stay and play pee wee." So they made me go to peewee wee tryouts, my own age. And after a one-hour session, I'd hurt four goalies with my shot, and I wasn't doing it like to hurt them. I was shooting to score. But you're just—you're just ripping I them. Could rip the puck. So it was always like those little things that motivated me. And there were certain situations that happened through my journey that were like okay you're, you're like you're not gonna support me and bolster me okay then i'll prove you watch this try to hold me back now good luck yeah. like, you want me to stay here and play all year like we won't have, we won't be able to have goalies in practice <laughs> all right <I'm> gonna, <laughs> you know and, then, and we're gonna score 10 goals a game like i don't i, I want to take that next step have that next challenge like you should yes. support me in this mission not hold me back for whatever reasons um, so it's a little bit of that. There's a lot of friction through my journey and things that motivated me and, and, and drove me to, to get where I wanted to go. And I think it's for the better. You know, it's sometimes if it, was, if it was such a smooth pass, path, maybe it would have got more relaxed and not as driven. But I mean, up till many years, I mean, all the way up until I even got into pro, even my draft year, there was a lot of proving to do and a lot of, you know, instances that happened that, that were kind of fuel for the fire.
1: Dude, I, I'm, I'm loving this so much. One thing that I want to touch up on right here is, is the, 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 the issue with that report saying that, you know, about Coach Killer. Because let's fast forward probably less than two years from that time. You're saying that was when you were 14. So now you're 16 years old. You're the first overall pick. You're playing for the Mississauga Ice Dogs, the Ontario Hockey League. Head coach... Legendary Steve Ludzik. Okay, now you and Mr. Ludzik are both going to be released this week. There was a long period in the show with Mr. Ludzik where he praises, absolutely praises Mr. Robbie Shrimp. He absolutely loves you as a player, loves your competitiveness, loves your mindset, loves your determination, loves everything about you. So, and and he's. Coached at every level, NHL, AHL, OHL, every level. Absolutely loves you. Coach Killer, and eh, I don't think so, buddy. You proved that right away. So good for you. Let's add a little bit to this team with the Mississauga Ice Dogs. Now, you played 65 games, almost every single game of the season. I believe at that time it was still a 68 game OHL season. Bro, you scored 26 goals your first year as a 16-year-old. Let's add almost 50 assists. You had 74 points. Over, well over a point per game. 16 years old, all the pressure, especially playing for a team where, dude, I was on this team two years before that, and we won three games. I don't even know if it might have been the year before that, Robbie. I don't know. When was the year that Spezza and Rick Vive and Big Sean McMorrow were on the team? Was that two years before you or one year before you?
0: I think that was, I think it was the year before. I remember yeah. I remember hearing, this, I remember hearing the, the stories from the year before. So okay. All, so it would have been, no, it would have been uh, Patrick O'Sullivan was drafted the year before me first overall. 85.
1: Okay. Okay. So, so I two was two years. years, two years before two years. you. Yeah. It was, it was Jared, whatever his name was, kind of had long hair. He was the first overall pick to us. Yeah. The next Pat year was O'Sullivan. Pat, Sorry?
0: Pat Jarrett.
1: Patty Jarrett. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. OK, great, great. wonder. Guy. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, we could we could talk dude. about. Yeah. Ty Jarrett, incredible dude. Yeah. So Jarrett, Sullivan and then and then you. So now two years removed from you, the team won three games when I was there and Spezza and McGratton and and, and, and Sully and all these guys. Right. And then the next year, I'm sure they didn't do too much better. And then you come in and light it up the way that you did. So that's something pretty special. But your coach, Steve Ledzig, what was it like to come in as a 16-year-old and play for a guy that had played in the NHL for so long, had already a pretty established coaching career? That must have been pretty cool.
0: Yeah, no, Ledzig was amazing. Uh, best thing that ever happened for me. And I, it, was, it was really uh, the biggest one of my biggest regrets they not biggest regrets but the biggest disappointment in my career was actually only getting to play for him for one year uh, I think things a lot of things would have been different if, if we could have stuck together my whole junior career and unfortunately ownership sold the, the, after the first year and they made changes and moved everybody out and Leslie went with it so it's, it's, it sucked it really sucked because that's the the one guy that sticks out to me through my whole career that I, I respected the hell out of and I would have gone through the wall for it. I would have done anything for Ledzy. And uh my only fight actually was was for Ledzy. You know, I remember a game in St. Mike's and it was a game in Mississauga against St. Mike's and Daryl Boyce was his name. And where I taking a took a face off and I took the draw, won the draw clean. And this guy didn't even try to win the draw. He just comes right up between my legs and I was like, look okay. at the guy. Does it again I look at the ref. He does it one more time and all of a sudden I hear Ledzy go, you just like fuck it, go him, Shrimpy, and I was like, yeah, you're right. He was right. This guy was trying to take advantage of me, and he was like, stand your ground. And I fought, and I did okay. I did, and then yeah, in there, and I actually, I was so prompt. We had a West Rippon was on our team. He was our he was our tough guy. and. Oh, okay. Uh, during, during during the fight, I was, whatever, it was nothing crazy. We were like two heavyweights fighting, but at the end of it, I, I got to switch up to a left and I threw it. I don't even think it landed, but I was just so pumped that I switched left in the middle of the fight, you know? So you switched so, up right in the
1: middle? Yeah.
0: I went over, I went after the game to, to Wes. I'm like, Wes, you're going to lose your job, buddy. I'm switching hands up here in fights. And I fight threw <laughs> <You're> out. <laughs> out, man. What? Um, uh, no, but Ludzie, I, I came in there as a, as a young kid, cocky kid. I was cocky and I come from dominating juniors and, and stuff like that. And Ludzie was the perfect person for me to meet in that next step. And he humbled me and he, he put me to work and got me in shape. I came to camp out. I didn't know what shape was. Uh, I played hockey before that on talent and it got me to where I got first pick overall and didn't really understand off ice stuff. I just literally spent time on the ice and that's, I spent all my yeah. time. On the as I told you from 10 to 15, I, every, bit of minute of ice that I could get I could I would take and if I couldn't get it there then I'd go in the shooting room or if there was a net laying around by the Zamboni I'd go pepper the net so that's how I got to where I got to I didn't know the other part and Ludzie taught me the other part <clears throat> and what he said and he always you know he guided me he's like Trimpy you're gonna spend the next training camp the next month and a half two months and I'm gonna I'm gonna get you in shape and I'm gonna push it you, and you're gonna work and I just said okay and I did and he's like you know, he guided me through my first month. I didn't have a great first month as far as goals. I was used to scoring all the time and I didn't yeah. score it's a totally different league, right? And it's you know, Don Kernan gave me some of the best advice I ever, ever received as well. He's like he's like, listen to me and listen to me. Good. Like you're gonna every league that you go to, it's gonna take you ten games to adjust. Sometimes you might come in there and you might have put up some points, but you're not gonna understand the league until ten games in. That'll give you your your buffer and that's when you're gonna understand the trends, the flow of it and where your opportunities are gonna be. And it was bang on in the OHL. The first month I had, you know, I still had play at assists, but again, for me, it was like I was slumping because I hadn't scored in 10 games. I'd never done that. I hadn't done that since. I don't even know. I didn't have a tracker, but I mean, I, <laughs> I don't, I'd never gone 10 games without a goal. Yeah. And uh, so he, but Ludzie was really patient and really teaching me and teaching me the ins and outs of the game, playing both sides of the puck. And that's some of the best hockey I've, I've probably played ever in my, in, my, in my career, all the way up until even in pro and uh, played really, solid two-way hockey and i was putting up points and put me in the right spot in the five on three to score some points and good supporting cast obviously with sully there and danny siska greg dracina some good older guys so they were good to watch too because juice took off. juice was awesome man he was undercover nasty yeah yeah he yeah. was a beauty too man he was just the you
1: know, I, I hope he
0: doesn't take offense. he was a strange bird but like yeah huh? you know what i mean he's just a strange dude but like cool as hell at the same time but He'd go out on the ice and some days he'd be you know not happy and you could, like he could fight and he could be chippy as hell and then the next night he'd be the most skilled guy between three first round first overall draft picks <laughs> <Like, he's laughs> like, well, like, he was so dynamic you know and uh but it was it was great and ludgy was a huge part of it and their family was amazing marianne and and the boys Stephen and ryan were it, they became a second family and, and ludgy was a second father to me so uh He stuck up for me too. And there's, you know, some of this kind of called shit cloud that came from when I was started, when I was 14 and I don't know where it came from negative. uh, You know, my biggest, I think down, if I could take back a little bit, would be the cockiness, but I kind of referenced the why I had that, you know, nobody knows everybody's experience or why they are the way they are, unless you dive a little bit deeper and man up until 15 years old, I'd already been through like three or four years of just daggers coming out of everywhere. Ridicule, ridicule, criticism, was a kid, man. I was just enjoying life, and I was—I was like advanced at twelve. I, was thirteen, I had a goatee, and I had a growth spurt, right? Like I was at thirteen, but I was hanging out with you know junior A players, nineteen, twenty-year-olds for two years already. So I'd already had like a little bit of a, what do you want to call it, a advance on life or a different perspective, and hearing so yeah. much in the locker room, guys like Matt Murley being around him, and he's a you know a lovely guy to death. Um, growing up and hearing what some of these guys were saying when I was 12 was probably not the best thing, (laughs) but, but, you know, I'd seen a lot already at at a young age. So, and then been through quite a bit, you know, there's even stuff like, I remember there was an instance where at my own rink in Fulton, there was someone came and asked me to come on the ice and teach their kids. I was 12 years old and it was with not my own team. So it was like eight or nine year olds. I went out to help and I got a board member came. I was like, you can't be out here. Like, I was like, I was asked to come out here. And then it was like, some of this, like negative, like there were some negative experiences, right? So there was, there was yeah. reasoning for me to feel a little bit defensive going in, but Ludsey made me feel so comfortable. I just got to be myself and myself is not a bad person. So when I got to be myself and show up to the rink every day and give Ludsey my best and give what I had, which was competitiveness, skill, abilities, whatever, lead a team in some regards, even at a young age, because it was all driven by competition. I competitive as hell. I hate losing so did Ludzie. I mean, the first time, one of the first times I met him, I was doing uh, a camp in Kitchener with my agent at that time, Scott Norton. And Ludzie came North. to pick... Norton? Yeah, yeah, Scott yeah. Norton. New, Newport, or no, was it uh, Sunset Coast Management at the time? Yeah. Um, so Ludzie came to pick me up because there was like a movie shoot that we were doing or something at the rink in Mississauga. They needed it. It was like a Lifetime movie or something. And Ludzie came and picked me up in, in uh, Kitchener with his wife and uh, Ryan came as well, and, and we were on the way home, and someone someone on the road cut Ludzie off, like, in, in traffic. And Ludzie got fired up, like, super competitive. This guy's competitive always, 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 right? He's, like, he's all fired up. And his, his, Marianne's, like, rubbing his neck. He's, like, okay, just relax. We're just on the road, you know? And I'm in the back, and I'm like, first on the I'm like, I'm going shit. Like, what am I getting to do? Like, this guy's fired up. He he's ready to go tilts on the road, right? But once I got to get to know Ludzie, like, that's him. He's, he's super competitive, wants to win. Uh, that guy cut him off on the road was more like a, you know what I mean? It was like a, I don't know, just trying to beat him you know. to the to the, to <laughs> yeah. to the destination. Exactly. <laughs> Something like that. So, but yeah, so Ludzie was awesome. And, and the things that Ludzie did and the way that Ludzie stuck up for us as players was a mate, like you just respect the hell out of that guy. Again, I'd go, for, I'd, I'd go through a wall for that guy. Like, do anything for Steve Ludzik uh, or anybody in his family. So I, again, I wish we could have lasted longer. Once management changed over that year, it was kind of like, everything kind of fell apart a little bit and, uh, you know, then it was time for a change, you know, unfortunately yeah. it's just the way she goes. And we can jump down that rabbit hole a little bit, but you know, it was it was tough to go from feeling, you know, my rookie you're totally supported and having somebody that was guiding me in the right path and looking after me and really cared about me. And then in the blink of an eye, they sell the team and it, it became a whole different story. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Ludzie was is a huge. I still keep in touch with him today, and, and and follow along, and we talk. You know, every couple months, we we call, talk to each other, and talk about the good old days, and you know what's going on in the game a little bit. And uh, it's good to see him battling back right now, and and, and seeing what he's gone through. But he's such a he's such a warrior. It's, it's not a surprise. I'm just happy that it's he battled through and got got to where he is today, and, and doing better. Luddy strong. Luddy strong. I got my sweater in the room. My daughter's said I was gonna rock it for the interview. But i walked in there and she started crying so <laughs> i, Dave, want, her, I want to, to, to keep rock. the daughters calm man. i know i know it's not easy keeping them down
1: so now robbie now now obviously obviously you know a lot of us players we we get lucky and we end up in spots where our coaches truly care about us and you know it, it's just the right place at the right time for us and and you know we're able to develop and flourish just like you were with ludzie right so now The the change in ownership, the change in direction, now the team's kind of scattered and and they're being uh, pulled apart. Now, other than the situation that you had with Ludzie, I would say the closest thing to, to being in a good situation was being with the Hunters in the London Knights, right? And, like, although this was a team, like, at this time... London was turning into a powerhouse, right? Like, this is like, they're being very successful. Now, they're really pulling the trigger on going for it all and acquiring Mr. Rob Shrimp from Mississauga, right? So now, I know they, they're always switching back and forth. Who was the GM and who was the coach when they got you? Was Dale the coach and Mark was the GM? Or how was it when they got Rob Shrimp from Mississauga?
0: Yeah, Dale was behind the bench and Mark was GM. So that was, uh, yeah, the, I think the year before was the last time Mark was around. As far as behind the bench, he went up to the office and he's, I mean, that's really his forte. That's what yeah. he's really good at, like spotting players, traveling. He's the hardest working scout, hardest working GM. He's not a scout. He's, you know, it's GM and owner, whatever you want to call it. But, man, he watches more players than anybody. Um, so that's his forte. And, and Dale really enjoys that tactics piece. And, you know the battle of and the grind of of, of that sort of thing and yeah it was uh, it was crazy it was such a change and going to you know Mississauga was no fan I mean you played there there was no fans and then you jump into a building that's a brand new building and packed every night it was it was pretty it was pretty cool it was a, you know it was a shock in some regard it's like wow this is what junior hockey this is what's, what it's supposed to be yeah well I
1: mean the top of the top for all that for like. Average yeah. attendance, like I, I, I don't think there was a team in the CHL that was averaging more than London at that time. Like, like London, like, no. what is the sorry? Go ahead, Robbie.
0: Yeah, know, you're right. That was they were we were the top in the league. Uh, my three, there still are. They they sell their season ticket holders. There's a lineup for it now. It's like almost like turning the. I mean, obviously, Green Bay Packers, the CHL, so to speak. It's tough to get like yeah. two year wait line to get tickets. So, it what was is enough. a
1: cello What is a sellout in that arena in London?
0: Now it's ninety one hundred, but it's usually like ten thousand one hundred. Yeah. Like standing, standing room, room. right? Yeah, yeah. Standing room and in the bar area. So it was a little bit more packed. The place was packed. Like it was sick.
1: It was so sick. So okay, now now Rob, I just want to reiterate some stuff for the listeners. This is a player I'm talking about you, buddy. Now, this is a player that is incredibly gifted skill-wise, creativity-wise, you're given an opportunity to master this craft with being able to come to this rank because of the individuals that you're working with, that, that you know, and, man, you really worked on it. You really worked hard. You really put the hours in. You saw that you had something special and you wanted to be the best you possibly could be at it. Now, Mr. Rob Shrimp. What you were ever and end up being able to get to, in my opinion, is the best puck handler slash stick handler in the world, I believe. Right now, I know we've talked about this before. With all the time that you put into it, and with, with all the passion that you have for it, all the creativity that you've added to it. You also believe that, that you could do things that no one else on this world could do, right, with the puck, starting at this time right now, Mississauga London Knights time, starting from that time.
0: Yeah, you know, I was, it started again, probably 12 years, honestly, 12 years old, but I was starting to do things with the puck that nobody else was doing. Um, you know, I got kind of inspired by the Mike Legg goal as a kid, saw that at the Michigan. But How I old learned- were
1: you at that time?
0: I saw like, that do you when remember? I think it was ten years old, 10, okay. 10 or eleven years old. Yeah, I saw that goal. It was on that VHS. It was you know, I yeah. got a chance to see it. My cousin had it, um, and from there I saw it once, and I never. It just kind of rang after a while. I was probably almost twelve years old. I was playing lacrosse, and I did, one day did, did like kind of did the my leg in the middle of the ice, and I just started cradling it like a lacrosse stick. And I remember I was out there. It was at the band of Major uh, tryouts. This was the time at the Pee Wee where they were trying to fight to get me to stay at Pee Wee. And I was out there with the 14, 15-year-olds, and I started playing the cross with the stick, and all these older kids were like, what the hell was that? I'm like, pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> like, you can see that? And then it just really took off like wildfire from there. And then I started to get really creative with the puck. So starting at that young age, I really was doing things with the puck that nobody else could do or nobody else was doing. Um, you know, if there's one guy in the world that was probably we – I was – really inspired by, but it was also in that same caliber was, was Kovalev. I mean, he was doing things like one handed snapshots, like his, his puck control is nasty. And somebody that I looked up to his style too was sick. He had the flow white jets. Like he was such a, you know, nasty player, awesome entertainer, you name it. Um, really liked the way that he, you know, kind of was looking out on the ice, so to speak when he had the puck. And I tried to emulate a lot of that stuff um, but yeah, so I started doing that stuff and, and I started doing it in warmups. And then that, that's the thing that people I started getting that attention in Trinity go back. I was, basically, you could have paid for admission just for warmups to watch me. I was doing these things with the puck, you know, throwing it up to the roof, of the ceiling, catching it, doing whatever I wanted with the puck. People were like, you know, it was different. Right. And it's again, even at those times when I was doing this stuff, that was all part of it too. Like my dad's up in the stands watching, he's like proud. And then you hear somebody like, you know, important scouts or somebody like, look at that punk, look at this hot dog cocky whatever it's like like man my dad's like he's, he's 13. <laughs> and this like, is what hockey's missing and he's 13 and like like you don't like like you don't appreciate that you know and that's one thing i mark hunter stuck up for me was when they came to watch me and scout me when i was you know reported i wanted to trade and that's one same thing there was someone in the staff who was like what, what's he doing and mark goes no no no, no. like do you, do you understand how hard that is like do you have any can you you know i know you can't do it for sure but you understand <laughs> how skilled that is like that is insanity, and that was something that Mark it was like, kind of a you know, stuck up for me on in some regard. So uh, it was yeah, those things like I, I hone that craft, and I'm I'm proud of it. I don't people can you know try to take me down as much as they want. I don't care. Go put the hours in to do it, and be able to do it like I can, and then you can come we'll have a conversation.
1: <laughs> but no, exa- exactly, Robbie, and and just to add to that, this is the thing: when someone is the best at something, right? There's people that are the best at certain things, right? But that person all the time is attacked because they're the best. And why are they attacked? Because all those people just wish they could be like that person. Trust me. That's how it works, man. You're the best at that craft. You know it. I know it, right? The the viral videos know it, right? So that's what it is. Now, okay, so... I'm off a couple of years. You're saying that you believe that even as even as young as twelve thirteen, I was thinking fifteen, sixteen. You're saying as young as twelve thirteen, you were doing things nobody could do.
0: Yeah, I think that was one I remember Matt Murley said it too. You talking, to, I think it was on Spitting chicklets. He's like, I skated with, with Rob Shrimp when he was twelve or thirteen years old, and he wasn't the best player around that area. He was the best player in the world at that age. He was the best player at that age. He was the best player in the world. And that was an amazing compliment. And Matt Merlier was an idol of mine growing up too. He played in that Syracuse uh, junior crunch team and he tore it up in that OPJHL and him and Timmy were really close too. So there's a kind of a, it's interesting being around that. So Timmy went one way and Matt went the other way, right? Like Timmy went to the OHL, Matt went to NCAA, both had okay. great careers, but both were nasty. And, and I watched Murls light that league up. So he was a, again, he was uh he was an idol. I idolized him growing up and tried to emulate a lot of stuff he did. And uh, when he said that, it, was, it meant a lot to me, too. It's, it was it was fairly true. You know, it's I guess I didn't say it. He said it, but it, it was pretty true. At 13, yeah. 12, 13, 14 years old, like there was crowds of people coming to watch my games. And I didn't really I usually didn't disappoint. So it was really had the puck on a stick, on a string. So uh, so to speak, puck was like a magnet. I could do it. You know, and the thing is, now I'm 35, and there's times I don't skate for two or three months, and I just go out on the ice, and it's like it never leaves. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Oh <laughs> yeah, a lot of, that means I spent a lot of time, and it's almost like second nature to me now. So it's, um, yeah, now it's more. I have more pride in it now because it makes really again those times where I don't skate for two or three months, and then I get out on the ice, and it just comes back like that. It really kind of is an indicator of how much I did work on it, and how much time and effort I put into it, and how ingrained it is in me. So it's. Uh, that's pretty cool.
1: Exactly, and like that's, Those are the points that you just mentioned. Of what I really want to get out the most, whenever we bring up the stick handling, like awesomeness, people need to know how long it took for you to build to that point, the dedication, the hours, buddy. You, the the passion that you have for it, the competitiveness, man. There's so much involved. No, but people need to know, and I'm so glad that we're able to 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 say this now, Ravi. Now. When you went to London, this was your draft year for the national hockey league. Okay. So you must've, you must've been like, okay, like this is my dream. I want to get drafted as high as I can. You got to put up the points. You definitely didn't disappoint again. Mr. Stack guy here, man. So (laughs) well over a point per game for London. Okay. But you were able to also have a really good playoff run. Now, I, I I know that you had the fifteen games played in the playoffs. How far did you guys go that first year with London? Your draft year.
0: We went to, uh, We lost in the Western Conference Finals to Guelph. Okay. Seven. Yeah. Okay. So we to stop. And that, that
1: wasn't, but, but that that wasn't uh, Jansen's or Penner, was it?
0: It was Jansen, uh, Jansen, Saint Pierre, Kevin Klein, Ryan Callahan. Oh, oh. all Dennis. those guys.
1: Oh, the they had they had also been building a team for this yeah. era. The Guelph, yeah, buddy. Wow. Okay, yeah, so, so we, you guys we lost.
0: Had a, we had a good team too. Like we on paper were, I mean, tick for tack with that. Really, it was just a matter of you know they came, they they showed up in a game seven. You know, that's playoffs yeah. are dangerous. They hung yeah. around and Jansen was running around, but Prusty Prusty answered the bell, and we had Danny. The other Danny Ball got suspended for us, so. We actually oh. had a little bit more meat. We had more toughness, but Danny took a five gamer in the series before, right before that series. That that really yeah, he hurt. He was heart
1: and soul of that team, right?
0: Yeah, Danny was. Danny yeah. was really. You know, he'd been a London and he was. He was like that. He was a good leader for us. So, and he also settled the ice down. You know, Jansen. You know. You know, Cam's unreal. Like he can swing the momentum with a couple of his big hits, and then he always answers the bell with a fight, and he does well in the fight. So. Jansen was a huge factor in the playoff series. And then the other thing is Kevin Klein in seven games had three hat tricks from the blue line. Like holy. Weird stuff happens in the playoffs. And that was our yeah. you know, that was our lesson lesson learned. Um that was our lesson learned that year. You know, and that's why the next year we'll follow up with that. But like that's why we came in guns blazing the next year. We were we were so disappointed, pissed off, and understanding of never let off the gas pedal because we you know i'm not to discredit them we sh- we were the better team we had and we had home ice advantage um you know and they went they won they won that game seven and eventually went on to go to the memorial cup so i guess everything happens for a reason and that gave us the fuel for the next season but at the moment it sucked it was draft year and I, personally speaking i wanted to go as far as we possibly could to put out you know as much you know Put put yourself in those situations and give yourself, you know, the biggest chance and the most games to showcase your game, especially play. I love playoffs and you can check my stats and i am said something I'm always proud of. My stats are always sick in the playoffs. I showed up yep. every time I came to dance. So there's some guys that show up for training camp. I'm not saying I didn't show up for training camp, but I didn't show up for training camp. I show up with a mentality like wait till you see me in April. And that's how I played the game, and that's how I always did. And I didn't say, come, you know, my six-year-old year is my wake-up year. I went to the ledger. I, I came in fat. I was out of shape. I got drafted first overall. Again, I just skated all summer. I didn't train. Everybody else was like 8 9% body fat, and I was like 17 or 18 and just thought I was going to get around on my talent. And that was the last time I showed up to a training camp out of shape. But, um, again, mentality-wise, who cares what's going on at camp? Um, it's what happens in April and, and May or whatever. Yeah. Time.
1: Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, dude, so now you end up being a first-round pick, you know, to Edmonton Oilers. You went 25th overall. Now, where was your draft?
0: Raleigh, North Carolina. Raleigh, North Carolina.
1: So the, so the Carolina Hurricanes Arena?
0: Yep.
1: Right on. So, obviously, so you went to the draft.
0: Yeah, I actually had 125 people come as far as friends and family as well. So it was a big uh, – Wow. It was a big entourage. It was pretty cool. It was uh it was neat. Yeah, I was a really proud moment and having all those people there for support. A lot of people were uh, along the whole way you know since the time hockey got serious at eleven. I had some of those teammates from my eleven year old year. They were they were there. Tyler Zinzmeyer, uh, Greg Haney, these guys. Um, so the Gonzala family. There was a bunch of them. So it was great to have all those people in this you know in the stands to support that big day because that's that's huge. You know, it's that's a huge in stone. So it was yes, pretty it cool. Yes, it is, dude. And, like, honestly, I,
1: I just want to add to that a little bit, Rob. Um, like, the NHL drafts, like, like I've had this conversation with a few of my guests, and, like, just the fact that, that you brought that amount of people to your draft, obviously you feel the same way about the NHL draft. The NHL draft, to me, is, is extremely special because we're only 18 years old. So what does that mean? From, from birth to 18 years old is pretty much our family – and all our family, supporters, and friends that have been part of the ride to that point. After that, it's really the player. It's the player a couple years before that, because the OHL is pretty much a pro league for teenagers. But after that, the family kind of takes a different role, you know, from, from a distance. And it's all business to see how far the player can take this career, right? But to this point, I believe the draft is a family accomplishment. Yeah. I believe you can add the people that you're mentioning now, the families and friends that were all part of the journey. That's who accomplished the draft, yeah. in my opinion. Mr. Robbie Schramm, you brought 100, what did you say, 130?
0: Yeah, roughly 130 people was at the draft.
1: <laughs> so you obviously feel that the yeah. draft is, is an accomplishment of, of many that, that, that supported you. Right, and but mostly your family, and that's a beautiful thing, brother. I've never heard anyone say they brought a hundred people to the draft out of state. Right? <laughs> yeah. So cool. What about the draft awesome. party? bud? what yeah, happened it was,
0: there? It was awesome. It was. I mean, it was a great chance to celebrate. Draft day was it was really intense and really. A wild day, personally. You know, I was ranked like pretty high, and it's—I know it went first round, so it, some people are like you went first round. Shut up! But like, I'm competitive. I don't care. I mean, it was—I wanted to go as high as possible, and I want to be the best of the best. So, there, I felt like I slipped in the draft, and it was a slip. Like I was ranked top ten, and I went to twenty-five. So, sitting from top ten to twenty-five, and every pick, you know, having those draft meetings and having a lot of those meetings say like, "You're you're not going to be here at our pick," so whatever those picks were from 11 to 25 every one of those you're standing like okay this one nope this one nope it was a bit of a emotional roller coaster and having a nhl camera nhl tv camera there right in front of my face the whole time with the mic at waiting they were respecting every pick right so it was intense so then afterwards it was nice to put that down and know that it got drafted it went drafted in the first round which is still an accomplishment but having all those people there they they would you know once the pick came and my name got announced it was so loud and it was pretty cool. Everybody started looking like, "What's going on?" So they had this whole section, you know, and <laughs> it, was, it was so cool. Afterwards, got chance. Yeah, everybody was there. We went to the hotel and, and really celebrated and had a good time and uh, told stories and you know, old summer hockey tournament stories and messing up hotel room stories and ruining insulation at the ring stories. <laughs> so, it was all good. It was a lot of fun. So yeah, it was it was a it was an interesting day, so to speak.
1: That's awesome, buddy. Now, see, now you're okay, so you're drafted. you're a first round pick. You're very, very proud of that. Although you're super competitive, you wish you could have went earlier, but, but, but you're content with the first round, which is a big accomplishment, like you, you mentioned. So now we're going into the 2004-2005 season. Not only is it the NHL lockout season, so certain leagues are going to get more attention, for example, the American Hockey League, they're going to get more attention. The OHL is going to get a ton of attention with there being no NHL available. Mr. Rob Schrempf and the boys with the London Knights, you guys pulled off a season like, and, and, now, and now you guys pulled, there was multiple seasons similar to this, but I believe, is this the year that they say is is the best team of all time?
0: Yeah, we actually got voted team of the century. um, Okay. Two years ago, two or three years ago, we got voted team of the century and the the, the kind of recognition of that season. So it was sick. Yeah, it was was intense.
1: (laughs) Okay, so now you guys, okay, team of the century, best team of all time. You guys roll through the regular season, and now you guys start the playoffs. Season before, get knocked off by the Guelph Storm. You guys are very, very hungry, my friend. Now, you did not disappoint at all. You know, you almost had two points per game in the playoffs. Okay? Let's talk about the Memorial Cup, brother. Because I believe this was the first Mem Cup in London Knights history. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, they got a very passionate fan base going back to the Ice Garden days and they used to battle on that barn and, you know, the fans were super passionate there and that, that community really wraps around the hockey and that and so they were they were patiently waiting for that championship. So the fact that we got to bring it to them actually and do it at home was really unique. And, you know, to mention, not to mention some of the stuff like that season was wild. Again, no lock or the lockout, no NHL. There was so much attention and um, a lot of it was crazy. So the fans. The countdown to, to, you know, whatever, five, four, three, two, one, we all jumped the benches. Oh. The building went nuts. And then for the next two weeks, three weeks, the city went nuts. And it was, uh, what, a, what a time, what a time it was. It was, it was so, yeah, you, I'll never forget those times, that's for sure. That's even going into pro, like, 24, 25, 26. I was still going back to London, Ontario. These guys, my team, like, cut the cord. You're like, buddy, I'll never cut the cord. Like, it was so <laughs> sick. It's the best times of our life, you know? 100%.
1: It was quite a process to make it the way it was, though, Rob. Like, to have, you know, London host the Mem Cup, right, that year, okay? It it was quite a process. Mr. Trevor Whiffen, one of my former guests, he was the president of the committee that got the Mem Cup in London for that year. And he was explaining that process. And, man, it was pulled off because you guys had the team, that was the biggest part. They had to sell that you guys were very likely to win if yeah. you were, could host it, right? And that's where Trevor was able to execute, okay? So now you guys backed up everything that was th- that was guessed. You guys backed it up. You rolled in there. You got guys like Rob Shrimp getting two points a game in the playoffs, and now comes the Mem Cup, and you guys pull it off. It's like a picture story ending, wouldn't you say?
0: Yeah, it was it was amazing. It was and that's the thing, it was, you know, a pretty pretty decent uh pressure cooker through the course of the season. We rolled through it, but it was a lot of attention, a lot of expectations, especially we came out guns blazing 31 undefeated games. You know, the attention was really on us. So then, you know, getting like ten games into that, it started and it never stopped. And then we got the best of every team every night. We got the best of every team every night. Everybody wanted to knock us off, everybody was coming for us. Uh, everybody wanted to challenge our tough guys. Everybody wanted to challenge our skilled guys. Uh, yeah, so it was it was intense, and it was, I mean, it was awesome. So it was really like a playoff setting for us going from, like, 15 games into the season all the way on. So we wow. were battle ready, and, you know, we, we expected it of each other, and we came every single night, and you know, we wanted – we started to enjoy that. You know, that we knew we were getting – the press was out there. There was no NHL, so all the press was – A lot of it. We were making sure our names were front page, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll I'll tell you what, Rob,
1: man. Like, okay, so the confidence level going into the next season, for you personally, it must have been pretty high because you're coming off like a really, really big playoff run personally, like production-wise, right? And, dude, I'm telling you, this last year with London, when I was looking things up, this is what impresses me the most because I knew it was after a Mem Cup victory. I knew it was when everyone's going to be gunning for you guys, for the top players, like Mr. Rob Shrimp, the top tough guy. They're going to be gunning for him. They're going to be wanting to score on the London Knights goalie, starting goalie. All you guys are being challenged personally and team-wise. Buddy, I don't even know how this is possible. So, And I know I don't need glasses, but I'm going to read off the stat line for this Season I'm talking about here. Okay, so now we got only 57 games played. Mr. Rob shrimp We got 57 goals a goal per game in major junior 88 assists. I thought it was a typo 88 assists 145 points in 57 games. Mr. Rob shrimp. That's almost three points a game You know what I mean? Over two point five for sure. Pretty close to three. Man, tell me about that regular season. Like we're talking nine thousand people on a Friday night. It was called the Labatt Center then,
0: right? John labat Center, yeah.
1: Yeah, man, the John Labatt Center, nine thousand people, and Shrep is just sniping three points a game. Maybe it's three goals. Maybe it's two snipes, one assist every game. Like what? How many strip jerseys was there in the John Labatt Center, man? Yeah,
0: I should have. I should have got. I should negotiate a better. We should have had a percentage,
1: man. <laughs> Let's call Mark and Dale right now, yeah, man.
0: Uh, I got it. It was like Fifty <laughs> bucks a week and I got screwed. Uh, <laughs> man. No, it was yeah, that was awesome, man. I, I really embraced that that building. I love that building, and uh, you know, it was three years of a lot, a lot of growth, and a lot of getting to that point, and you know. It may sound terrible to say, but I could have done that. I felt like I could have done that my first year at 17. But there's a pecking order to go through, and, and a way to learn Dale's ways. And I had to go through that, you know, learning curve, and it took some time. And I, I went there at 17, and it wasn't just thrown into the red carpet and go play. We had Corey Perry, we had David Bowen. we had other names in the list, so there wasn't like just
1: Sivret. You know, all those guys. Sivi. You he had a still
0: there. Dennis was there my first year, so there was okay. there was a lot of a lot of um uh, sharing going on and a lot of being team and it wasn't just go be a stud so which is you know so that's the thing like, that i also felt like i had that ability though that's my point at 17 i was like i yeah. can run with this thing um but my last year really got that rope in that rain you know in my second year there we had cory perry who was by far the best player in the league there's no doubt about it um Still believe that I, I would challenge him skill-wise and that could be, you know, challenge him points-wise. But he's playing both sides of the power play. Two power plays, and more minutes, blah, 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 that good stuff. No excuses, but <laughs> factors.
1: So of my course. last
0: year was really got a chance to to dive in there and take the lead, take the reins. And, um, you know, it was fun. I think there was one stat Jimmy McKellar told me a couple of years ago. He was our city general manager. Yeah, Jimmy, boy. I college. love Jimmy, man. I Jimmy, love Jimmy, Jimmy McKellar, man. man. Yeah, he's like a big brother to us. He was awesome for yeah. us from my time in London. Still to this day, I still talk to him. So uh, lifelong friend and he's an amazing person. But Jimmy, Jimmy said that there was a stat that I had six six straight home games on Friday night. That I had a hat trick. So every, every Friday, night, Friday, six, six Fridays six straight, in a row. In a row, I had a hat trick. And they had that back then. I we started with our thing someone at one time I got my, one of my, probably my third hat trick on one of those nights, someone threw a sombrero out on the ice and I got the first star. So I went out at the first star and I grabbed the sombrero and I did a lap with it. And then they still, to this day, do the sombrero thing. You know, Patty Kane's got a photo with it, doing the same thing when he was there. You
1: started that, you started that.
0: So, well, somebody started by throwing it. I was started by yeah, but you put it on. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then, so the players now do that as, a, as like a, a cultural thing because of Mr. Rob Shrebb.
0: Yeah. So that's cool, it man. Pretty cool. It's a cool little trend. But yeah, that year was really kind of fueled too. I went to training camp as a 19 year old in Edmonton, and I really thought I, I played really well and put my best for, foot forward. And I wanted to make that next jump. Personally, competitively, you name it, like, wanted to be there, thought I deserved to be there. Um, local media, writing newspapers about how I'm, I'm on the roster. And that's the you know, lesson learned there don't, don't read into anything, whether it's good or bad. Uh, cause I really was, I kind of mentally set that I was going to make the team. And then, you know, I got a call into a meeting and they said, yeah, you know, we got news. We're going to, we're going to, uh, we're going to send you down, but we're going to sign you to your elite level contract. So it was tough and it was frustrating. It was cool to get signed to that entry level deal just to know, you know, like you talked about with the draft, like that's a huge thing for me too, like for our family coming for a weekend from that NHL first round money was awesome. Yes. Uh, there's no other way to cut it. I mean, we, we, my dad was a factory worker. My mom worked two jobs. So we weren't swimming in money by any chance. And the fact is that, you know, starting from 12 years old on I didn't have to pay because I was, I got so good at hockey. That was a driver too. I got you know, stick companies and mission sponsored me at 11 years old. Um, I got the chance to go out and make a movie with Wayne Gretzky when I was 12. And from then on, uh, I got a deal with graph skates for me and my brother, so we didn't have to take care of, you know, skates that took off my dad's plate. Going into wow. that, we were using hand-me-down shit, you know, <laughs> like, whatever. Of course. So, yeah, so
1: wow, it was huge man. to get
0: – that day was a big turning point, but it was also disappointing. Like, the first part was, was like, you're going down. that stuck, and then you're getting, you know, almost a million dollars, which was – that was the sign of bonuses back then. So it was um, – yeah, you know, it was different. Then I went back to London. I was really determined to show, prove, like I, I wanted to be there. So I went down guns blazing and put up a lot of points in the first ten games. I almost like that's the thing. David Bowen was down there. I told a story recently too. David Bolin was down there in ten games. He had like thirty points. So he was on a tear, right? And I was in Edmonton still. This is we Chicago
1: Blackhawks. David Bolin.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was, he was, uh, he was down in London already. He played start of the yeah. season, and I think we were talking on like MSN Messenger. Or something like that. And he was like we were chirping back and forth and he's like, Whatever, I kept telling him I'm gonna catch you, buddy. You wait till I get back. If I get back, I'm catching you. I'm gonna catch it. And he's like, Whatever, blah, blah, blah. So the first ten games I put up like fifty points. I think I had <laughs> Come, Brank, on. You remember, you remember Brank, Come on. You remember Branks Come on. You remember Branks, obviously. Don Branks. Of course, Mr. Don Branksley. He was an awesome guy. He was amazing, great trainer, awesome, big piece of history in the London Knights and awesome guy in the room but he gave me a plaque that I, and I found it in my parents storage stuff uh, last summer is actually I had 100 points in 37 games so I, I got to 100 points in 37 games and then wow. from there it slowed down because everybody started shadowing me <laughs> so then the yeah one, they would just turn it into a four-on-three because they would just go and stand right next to me and then let the other four guys zip it around and we had great players too we had Boland, Dylan Hunter, uh, Sergei Kuznetsov. And Adam Perry standing in front of the net. So they they really (laughs) stop the power play. Yeah, the power play kept (laughs) clicking. It's just my point production slowed down quite a bit.
1: Could anyone move Dylan from in front of the net or what?
0: (laughs) Was he in front? The Coke can, man. He was so solid. He was on the goal line. He was one of the best. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. That's right. right. Yeah. He was super smart. He had great touch, great hands. He had great decision making, um, all that stuff. He had some great tangibles to his game. He had 300 point seasons in the Owens. You know it's pretty remarkable so yeah um, Hansi was a perfect player i mean he's just always in the right spot at the right time made the right play at the right time and um yeah he was awesome to play with
1: so now so now rob the, the other thing i wanted to touch up on is i mean obviously we met at edmonton oilers camp right like we knew of each other and stuff but but we the first time we got to kind of hang out and you know that kind of thing was at edmonton oilers camp i love the oilers organization this is my opinion. It's not meant to, to put to, you know to put anyone under the bus or anything. But like I believe that you should have got a better shot with Edmonton, and the reason why is because of what you did in the minors for Edmonton. Like I could understand if you just like if you got the pro and it was like, okay, well I mean this guy's not putting up any points. I played in Buffalo. We had a guy named Yuri Novotny, very good on the international stage. He just couldn't produce in Rochester. The guy wasn't putting up any points. He's getting like 8, 10, 12 points his first year, maybe 15 his second year. I mean, I'm looking at the stats here, bro. I mean, buddy, your first year, your first year pro, you almost had a point per game. I mean, you had 53 points in Wilkes-Barre, right? In Rochester, if one of us had put up 53 points as a rookie, I think Pommenville may have got close to that. Boom, Buffalo would, would reward and just like, just just put him there. Look look what he did in Roch. We're just going to put him in Buffalo. We're going to give him the last 15 games. Maybe that will turn up his confidence for training camp next year. Type of thing, right? So, all right. Let's see what he can do the second year. Second year pro, you improve. Second year pro, you improve. You have 64 points. Okay? 64 points in the AHL, bro, as a 21-year-old? I mean, that that's pretty m- remarkable. I admire it because I know the grind. I know the AHL grind. I played in the league for six years, brother. The three and threes, the getting to get town at four or five in the morning and you got to play that day. <laughs> and you been on yeah. the bus for six hours, seven hours? Like, You know what I mean, bro? So you went all through that as a guy 20, 21 years old, and you're putting up a point per game. And I respect that. As a former player, I respect that. I know that different organizations work differently, right? In some organizations, you put up big numbers in the minors, NHL team is automatically giving you that shot. Not every team works that way. Sometimes it may be a year where the depth chart is super, super thick. You know what I mean? It's just, there's got to be like, I find like nine, ten components that all got to work out, Shrimpy, at the same time for that person to have successful time where they're drafted. You know what I mean? So it's very interesting how all that works. Do, like like I know obviously you're proud to, to have been an oiler. you did end up playing for the Oilers you know what i mean you actually for for the opportunity you got you still put up pretty good numbers man like the per game totals right like yeah. like so so like like i know you had a good experience at Edmonton you just had to you just had to move on it just it just wasn't it was not the the right time whatever you want to say what's your opinion on that
0: yeah, <clears throat> it was it was frustrating, and, and you know, I, even my rookie year was a good. I think it was a good. Uh, I think forty games, fifty games in the minors would have been perfect. And then yeah. spending the other half of the year up and in, in playing with the big club, so I can get my feet wet and understand and make that progression. Um, you know, a big thing for me was my rookie year. A big struggle going into it. Um, you know, the first twenty games of the season. Again, Don Kern's advice: ten games of the year, and that's it nailed true there. Yeah. Uh, it even took it a little bit deeper. We had a different team though. Back we had like we had like a we had a grinder and we were unbelievable at it. We had a half split. We had ten Oilers, maybe not even like seven Oilers guys or eight Oilers guys, and the rest of Pittsburgh guys. You oh, know, with, you
1: guys uh, were a dual affiliate that year.
0: Yeah, yeah. With, oh,
1: okay. So we had, All right.
0: And we had like we had Dennis bomby, we had Matt Carkner, we had uh, Brian Stone, Dan Carcillo, Wade Schooley. We had oh, some see. we. Yeah, we had it. When that league was back then, was that was meat. It was like uh, everybody had that dope. Philly had Tristan Grant, Riley Cote. I yeah. mean, Gr- Grenier. I think his name is Stefan. I'm i not saying it wrong, but Grenier, huge monster. Yeah, Martin oh, Grenier. Nice. I, play Marten, Marten, sorry, his, his I played with him. Martin, sorry. His
1: hands it. were three times the size of mine. Yeah,
0: it was nuts, <laughs> dude. It was a different league. And we played like this fast dump and chase and run the shit out of the D game. Obviously, that's not my game. Uh, tried to figure it out and try to fit in that model we didn't have a lot of skill we had jonathan Philowich who was tearing it up that year he, but he was a great combination of that of that type of hockey he's a whl guy could fly could hit could score muck it up in the in front of the net you need those guys absolutely um do you need everybody to turn into that guy no and no. that wasn't gonna be me right and i just trying to figure my way out and again 40 games was perfect Maybe 50 games. And then, you know, the big turning point for me, my rookie year was getting, they traded for Robert Nielsen from the New York Islanders. And that just saved my whole season. It gave me a guy to play with. We saw the ice the exact same. We saw each other through the back of our heads. Like I knew exactly where it was. He knew where I was all the time. We just had the sick chemistry. And that gave me a chance to really then jump into it. I mean, the first 20 games, I think I had like five points. Okay, I, so I was going
1: to say – I'm sorry to interrupt you. So the second half was a lot more productive than the first half is what you're saying.
0: We were killing the power play. We were killing every – five on five, we were all over every shift. We were dominating, and it was a ton of fun, and it gave me a lot of confidence because it was tough for me to have five points in 20 games, I, and I couldn't figure my way out. Like, it was just a totally different game. I couldn't – I didn't have the concept of get rid of the puck, go hit somebody to get it back. Like, for me, it's like I'm going to dangle you. Not You're going to have to take it from me before I get rid of it. So this new concept of throw it away, go hit – yeah, go so hit. You know, just didn't. I don't know. It wasn't my game Didn't so. make any sense. And that was a little bit how the Oilers played as well at that point. You know, they had one line that was like Brian Smith, Ellis And they had some really good, you know, those guys were sick players. And the other three lines were kind of more of that grinder type style. The Western Conference was a big and tough, tough conference. So uh, that's, you know, that's part of it. And, um, you know, the second year definitely had I had a really good season, put up a point a game and thought I would have got more. So I more time up there would have helped because it didn't give me any indication of what it was like up there. Training camp's totally different, right? Like even those preseason games, we're all we're all in the same boat. We're all just trying to grasp for this spot in the show and doing whatever yeah. it takes. And that's really even not even how the games played in the show. Everybody's on their spot in the show, right? Like right wing stays in the right wing, left wing stays in the left wing, center blah blah blah. All, everybody's in their spot. And training camp and preseason, it's like you know, it's like the jungle. It's like down in the miners. It's like yeah, people where they shouldn't be trying to get a hit in or. You know what I mean? It's, it's a totally different game. So uh, just for me, it was unfortunate because I, I would like to have the experience. And once I got a chance to be in everyday NHL in Long Island, I fit right in and, and had some pretty good success, you know? And yes, uh, it wasn't even like jumping in like a top six. I was a top nine. I was a third line player uh, for the Islanders, but still produced. We became like a really good third line, Blake Como, myself, and John Sim, where we were solid. We put up, you know, we were putting up points every night for the team as the third line. And, um but that comfort level I finally got when I got there to be a day-to-day guy and not, you know, looking over, am I getting sent down? or get, where, Not even that. Like, when I was playing at Edmonton, I was always like, when am I – I want to get called up. So <clears throat> it was a little bit of that. You know, if I can go back, probably be a little bit more mentally strong. But hindsight's twenty twenty, and it is what it is. So, you know, I think it was uh, Josh Grant told me that one time. He's like, "Shrimpy, I'll tell you what about the American Hockey League. It's great. The one year is great. Two years is great. After your third year, you start to go a little bit backwards. If you're not getting a chance up in the show, you're not playing significant games in the show. If you play three full seasons of the minors, you actually start to go. And it actually nailed true to my <laughs> my third year was like, I just hit an absolute wall. Frustration and, you know, lack of confidence and all that stuff. So in my last year, I had very bad numbers, 42 points. We had a very bad team. And all together, we, we lost a lot of games. Um, I mean, out of 82 games, we lost like somewhere around the range of 50, 55 games. So we had okay. one losing streak. Unfortunate for a guy named uh, Bruce Land, who was an amazing guy. Great owner in Springfield, loves the game of hockey, felt so bad for this guy. He put so much into it, cared so much about it. And we just didn't, uh, the product we put on the ice stunk. Um, I remember one time we lost, we were like 10 games into a losing streak and he put a guaranteed win up against, uh, I think it was Hartford. And Hartford was stacked at that time. They had meat. They had everything you can think of. They were tough as nails and they had some top scorers on the team. And we were none of that. And he put a guaranteed win up in the public, come to the game, guaranteed win. No way. And we got smoked ten nothing. No uh, way, bro. So like, damn. Come on. Not only 10-0? did he feel terrible about ten nothing, but also like we all like I knew what Bruce put up and like he's trying to get engagement and that's what we gave him back kind of thing. And it was like that. I felt so bad bro. for him. And then we won. We lost. We ended up losing 17 games in that losing streak. Roughly, I think it was 16 or 17 games. We finally won a game, and it was like, "Hey, fuck! It. Let's go! Let's get it going!" Right? We go on and we lose again, go on another losing streak, and it was almost like, you know, Groundhog Day. Ten games in, guaranteed win night against Providence. We lost 11 to one in the my 10 10 nothing 11 one on two guaranteed win nights. <laughs> it was brutal. Oh
1: was man
0: that's yeah. just that's a that's a lot of bad luck too though like
1: i mean how often how many times have you have you lost 10 nothing buddy never right so it just happens to be on a guaranteed win night like yeah Bro.
0: man yeah oh, for so, 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 so we that's
1: unfortunate yeah that's unfortunate man but like what was cool though is like i mean i i know it i know it took it, it like like edmonton I wish they could have pulled the trigger, like on a trade, Trempey, uh, in your third year, in your third year of the of the entry level. You know what I mean? Because I bet you, you would have got traded to a team that you just would have filled, like, a filled a role, the top two lines, and then boom, it would have Trempey would have went to work, right? But you know, dude, you 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 took it, you took advantage of what you were able to get. You got third line ice with the Islanders. You pretty much put up fifty points in ninety games, bro. For third-line ice, that's extremely impressive. You know what I mean? Probably, the mo- like you said, the most productive third-line in the National Hockey League. <laughs> right? Pretty, yeah, pretty really impressive, good. my friend.
0: We were solid, and it was, it was fun. It was great. good to have that role and kind of fill it. And Underdog, you know, it's used to going from being like a guy that's kind of counted on for offense. Wasn't really counted on for offense but still putting up offense and being doing the show And that year was it was my first year there was awesome too So I got a chance it took me a while to get in even I got there and it first started off on wing and I didn't I didn't do that well and wing is a tough position for me because I'm not the fastest skater I'm more of a creator and trying to buy space for my line mates when I play center I can do that I can manipulate coverages and springs you know wingers on breakaways or odd man rushes on the wing you're stuck to that one side a lot of stopping and starting so Anyways, first five games, I was on the, you know, fourth line playing left wing, and it just was stuck there, and it, it was obvious that that wasn't a good fit, and the coach was honest with me. and said, listen, you're going to have to wait till someone gets hurt or plays himself out of the lineup at center, so I ended up waiting, like, 18 games in a row to get in the lineup, but for me, I wasn't, I, I was happy to be there, and I was just happy for the opportunity. It was a totally different ball game. I was so much closer to being in the lineup in the show than down in the minors on the bus with the. Soggy subs and the bad pizza and busting, you know, whatever. Usually pizza. The bingo. Usually pizza. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but the subs so, were probably second.
0: Yeah, it was good. So it was, <laughs> I got I waited my turn and I got the you know, chance to get in there with the guys and, and be like a family and be around and everybody was kind of pulling for me because I was working my ass off and, and staying focused. So I wasn't pouting around the room. I was staying every day after with Mark Stride and mo Poso and uh, Milan. on your seeing we played ping pong three, three four hours after practice every day and finally got my chance to get in the lineup and, um, you know, got a, stepped in and played really well. I got like one of my, I think it was my second or third game in a lineup. I scored the goal in Colorado, batted one out of the air, like a baseball goal. So that was, yeah. Got yeah. me, you know, some momentum going and the boys were pumped. And then I started getting in the shootouts and I, I did really well in the shootouts and, uh, gave me a chance to kind of give the team something and be, uh, you know, be a factor in the lineup and not just in the lineup and putting up points and, scoring the shootout and help on the second player power play unit. It was, it was pretty cool. So I was proud of my time in Long Island. And uh, again, once I finally got a chance to get in there and and find the patterns and get my 10 games, as Don would say, I finally got to understand the league a little bit and it wasn't, it wasn't as hard as I thought. And the biggest thing too, Mac is like the thing for me that I was so pumped about is when you play in the show, your game just gets so much better. Like, oh, yeah. it just gets – you're playing against the best. You're playing with the best in practice. Like, it's sick how good your game gets. You know, and I got a chance to realize that because, again, my last year in the minors was – not the. I don't know the other way to put it. was horrible. Um, couldn't even figure it out there. I just was so blocked. I played one year up in the show, played with the Islanders. My second year I had an injury, and after the end of the injury, I got – Garth sent me down to play a conditioning game. And I went down to play against Manchester, and I it absolutely tore it up. I dominated the game. I felt so good. And this was like what happened was when I got out there now at that level, it felt so slow to me. It was like everything just slowed down. And it was like so much, you know, time and space just opened up like the vision just opened up. Everything seemed to slow down in my vision. Where fast forward a year and a bit later. I mean, again, I was sitting at barely getting a point half a point a game. And the league seemed like a struggle to me. So that showed me how much I progressed as a player and how awesome it was playing in the NHL, how much better your game gets just by being on the ice with these top-notch players.
1: Yes, and that, and that's, and then thank you for sharing that, buddy, because that's incredible insight. Now, speaking of dominating the game, right? Now, I know that you had, you had a stop with the Atlanta Thrashers in, in the NHL, okay? But then... You decide to go overseas, my friend. You decide to go to the beautiful country of Sweden. The very legendary team, Modo. Now, Mr. Rob Schrempf, you absolutely ripped up this elite league in Sweden. You were were part of a record-breaking top scoring line for Modo. Can you please talk a little bit about this incredibleness?
0: Yeah, it was awesome. It was a great setup. Um, you know, for me, it was leaving when I left Atlanta. Uh, it was it was crazy. They sold the team, moved it to Winnipeg, and then they yeah. reshuffled everything. Everybody got gas, so it was kind of a quick turnaround. And when the first the new management came in, and it was right away talking about, you know, the contract talk wasn't very positive. It was more like two way, and we'll see where he starts. Anything, kind of and I was like, I can't go back to the minors. Like, I, I just yeah. couldn't mentally do it again, man. Like, so I was like, okay, hey, let's go try Europe and 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 get a chance to prove it over there and come back. Guys had done it before. I know Mark Giordano did it. He went to the KHL, but the big talk, a lot about my talk was about my skating. So, I was like, I'll go to one of the top skating leagues, and I'm going to prove it. So, I went to Sweden, and I went to a great spot. Marcus, uh, Marcus Naslam was the general manager. Peter Forsberg was the assistant general manager. And Alf Samuelson was the coach. So, three guys that had unbelievable careers and great knowledge and, and that sort of thing. So, I was really comfortable jumping into that setting. Um and yeah, we went over there and it was great. You know, the bigger I see and it was again Don Kernan came in the first ten games I had one point. I only I I would but I wasn't playing bad. I was nervous too because you know you hear these stories about going to Europe and guys getting fired and sometimes like that. So I was kind of like insecure. And then Alfie called me in after like four or five games, like, hey man, just so you know you're playing good. Like you're playing really good. Don't get discouraged. This is different hockey. This isn't gonna be a hundred point season for you. A point a game in this league is super good. Like just relax. I'm like, okay, thank you. I needed that because, I mean, it wasn't deterring my game, but you could tell on my mannerisms I was like, kind of skittish. I'm like, man, am I going to get like, fired like four or five games in? I got one point, like six games. I got one point. And, you know, then after 10 games, I just figured out the patterns, and I figured out the flow. I got my first goal in the shootout, and then from there, I got my confidence to score goals, and, and it just kind of started going from there. Yeah, bro. Well, you take away those
1: first 10 games, and you pretty much had a point per game that season. Yeah, is, it was, he said it's it just fun. really, really good, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not easy. You know, there's such a different game over there. You know, North America, you really you make one pass into a danger area and it's a great A because it's smaller ice. So it's you're talking a difference in, you know, five to seven feet in some of these scoring chances, which is, you know, mathematically, you're starting to talk about trajectories on net and, and that sort of thing. And five or seven feet is huge, you know, and you start talking about faces of the net and, and that sort of thing. So in Europe, it's North America, it's, you draw a guy to you, you draw a duplication of cover to you. You make one pass and it's a grade A. And in North, uh, excuse me, in, in Europe and Sweden specifically, you got to make two, sometimes three passes to get that grade A. So you're talking about stringing those along. There's other defending players out there. There's so much more chance for this play to break down. Um, that's the thing. Like some of the trends or not the trends. Some of the habits that I had in the North America, it's like for me walking off the half wall, if I got to the dot line almost on the top of the circle in North America, I I genuinely can, I believe I can score and I can score from there on a clear shot. You do it on the European ice and it's like playing catch with a goalie. It looks, it looks dumb almost. You're like, why would you, (laughs) you know, it's just that much further out. And it's only like, again, maybe five feet or seven feet roughly, but it's a huge factor when you start talking about threatening the net. And I had to learn that. So taking that away and like, for me, I played a lot of the game with like the markings on the ice where, where my kind of. That's how I played the game. I'd see my vision where the, the markings on the iceberg and I'd try to get to them. So I had to change that totally when I went to Europe because I would use the dot line. I'd use the hash marks. I'd use the circle as my visual guidelines to when to attack the net. Had to take that away and start thinking about drawing people to me to make plays, make passes. So totally ch- changed my game in some regard. But it was uh, it was fun to do because it was a new challenge and uh, I won't say master the game, but conquer those patterns and understand those trends and, and then start to take advantage of them and create offense. It was, it was a stepping block and it took me a minute to do it. But then once I got to a level where every night I was coming, I was a factor. I was making offense, creating good chances, scoring goals. Uh, it was a very good feeling because it was something new and it wasn't easy at first.
1: Great right on bro. And I, and I appreciate you sharing that. Now there's two things I want to touch up on here. The first one is Alf Samuelson. Now, Alf Samuelson, especially for people like, I know you're four years younger than me, but kind of in our era. When I think of Alf Samuelson, I think of Cam Neely. I think of Alf Samuelson kneeing Cam Neely. <laughs> and, I, and I just remember like the Rock 'em Sock 'em Don Cherry videos where Don is like, oh, that, I'm so glad Cam got that, Alf Samuelson. But now, as I got older, I realized, man, Alf Samuelson was a big, solid defenseman very 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 good at what he did and i started getting more and more respect for him as a kid i kind of hated him because don cherry was mad at him for for hurting his his favorite yeah. player cam neely but as i got older i had my own mind and i started respecting the guy w- what's up with all sam saying? good guy like good coach what's going on with that guy
0: yeah no i really liked i respected Alf a lot he was great again for me i don't know what he was saying in swedish <laughs> The Swedish guys would say, but for me personally, I remember I think it was like right inside that first 10 game range. I don't know which game it was fifth, sixth, seventh game. As I was playing the point on the blue line, and I had tried to make a pass, and I had a lane to this guy back door wide open. I went to sauce it, and it just hit a guy's stick guy, goes on a breakaway, and scores. I put my head down, and I was disappointed. And after the game, he called me up. He's like, He's like, Rob, I, I think. A lot of coaches would probably give you a lot of shit for what you did, but he goes, I understand that the hole that you're trying to hit is this big and you're not going to hit it all the time. So let it go. And it was like, you know, just that level of respect. And then the fact that he came over and did that for me personally, like showed he cared and, and understood what I was thinking. And I understand I didn't take it for granted. I wasn't just like, Oh, whatever. Another turnover. It, it weighed on me and I felt bad, but he also, I don't know, just that level of understanding. And like, he played with some great players and obviously understands like, he knew what I saw there and what I was trying to do. And it wasn't like a, like I was trying to go one on five through everybody and turn it over. Like it was that, you know, he understood the situation. And so I, you know, he gained, I had a lot of respect for him right out of the gate, the way that he communicated with me and, and treated me as a player. So I, I liked Alfie a lot. And, you know, he talked to me through the course of the year it was always, you know, it was really positive. And, and he's like, you keep playing this way. You know, you might get a chance and I know what you, you, know, you probably want to go back and just stay focused and, and that sort of thing. So he, he really, he was great. And I really appreciated him. I enjoyed playing for him. So Alfie's awesome, but he's intense and he's competitive, and that's a great thing. Um, now in playoffs and going, you know, we were all going crazy in playoffs, and losing the shit on the bench. <laughs> <laughs> it's great though. I love this competitive side, and you can see it. You know, when he played the game, he was a fierce competitor. Uh, I know he drove people nuts, but that's what he had to do. And exactly, he did he his did role very well. He did his role very well. I mean, he's not supposed to be out there asking for autographs from. I know terrible what happened with cam neely and mr neely but um he's out there just trying to, to win and eliminate yeah. the best player on the other team and i'm sure he wasn't narrow uh, i'm gonna take this guy's knee out sort of thing it's more like he's fired up he's finishing his check the game hard finishing his hit and uh, fierce competitor and played the game hard and man he took some lickings he gave some licks. so He's seen a lot of the game, and he's been around a long time. I, again, it was a great opportunity to have that wealth of experience and knowledge with him, Marcus, and Peter around the room. So a uh, pretty cool opportunity. And, again, you can look on my PB card. Peter Forsberg was on my favorite players list. So,
1: really? Pretty, yeah, yeah. Did you show him?
0: No, I didn't. Does he know? Told, Does he know? Did you them, tell him? I told, I, loved, I mean, I used to love that guy. He was so sick. His He'd reverse hits, the way he controlled the puck, and then so strong. big – so strong, and I love the way his clappers he used to have the sickest clapper. And I, I uh, again, duplicate, try to duplicate that and emulate that. Yeah, that's, that's the right, right word. Saying it yeah. properly, probably not. But um, I always uh, just envisioned that when I was out on the ice by myself. I always envisioned that clapper that, that Forsberg had. He'd walk around right around the top of the circles, whatever. Sometimes he'd cut back two or three times, walk across, tickle the rafter, and just clapper shelf far down. Uh, I took that shot probably 10,000 times as a kid.
1: Did you did you use him in the Nintendo games?
0: I never played. I never played games. To be honest with you, I was at the room. never, eh? <laughs> I never really no. named.
1: No, that's fair enough. For me, it was just Super Nintendo, man. Super Nintendo. Those hockey games. I like to use some of the players that we've mentioned and stuff. So sometimes I'll I'll, I'll say, hey, man, I, I used to like. I was I was roommates with Tempo Newman. Tempo Newman went in Buffalo one year, right? And I told Temple, I go Temple. When you were on Winnipeg Jets, I don't know why, I think it's because they had Timo Solani. I would use Winnipeg, and and Temple was so good in the game. I'm like, buddy, I would play you all the time in Super Nintendo. The guy's like, yeah? (laughs) Right? It's an interesting conversation to have with someone who used to play them in a a Nintendo game. But those are the journeys that we go through, though, Rob. And, And it's so cool to be able to experience them. Playing for your favorite player... Peter yeah. Forsberg, man, that's a cool experience, right? Yeah. That was really cool. Th- yeah, bro. So the other thing I wanted to, to touch up on is, is the whole Europe thing, Rob. Like you're a guy that that, you know, you 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 I mean, and you're still going. You're still going. You made a comeback and you're playing now again, but you've had so much success in Europe, okay? You've played in multiple, multiple elite leagues in Europe, okay? KHL is pretty much known as like kind of the best league other than the NHL, at least money-wise, right? And then you know you're you're in the Swiss Elite League, you're in the Swedish Elite League, amongst others. You're just elite, period. And you had a lot of success. No, but it's true. Now, usually around the age that a player decides to go to Europe, it's a guy that he might be up and down with the AHL and the NHL, but he's mostly playing in the AHL. And he's just kind of like, man, I'm getting these offers from overseas. Am I ready to see something else? Or do I want to keep chipping away? Is this all I have here? Or is there going to be more? It's quite the decision to make. What was that process like for you when you first went to moto? Like, I I know you mentioned the skating part, right? But what what other factors kind of were involved?
0: Yeah, it was... Uh... And it was such a really snap. it was such a shock that when you know Atlanta went to Winnipeg it was kind of like and then that was it wasn't really I really was looking for a one way offer I didn't want to play again I didn't want to play down the mine I want to stay at the top level and I wanted to compete at the top level so for me, it was just that challenge of proving that and I was I'd done it at the minors and it didn't work, so I figured something new and I don't know, I'm not too shy about things i wasn't nervous to go over it just said let's try something you know let's try this route and go over and try something different so it's tricky you know there's so much i think misconception in north america about what it is in europe um you know even for me going over there kind of ignorantly and thinking that i was going to go over there and have 100 points and just rip it up and got there and was like holy this is like sick hockey actually like this is tough like this so good Yeah. I think like, hockey is really good over here. It's a totally different brand. Um, everybody thinks bigger rinks, more skill. It should be ball hockey. It's not ball hockey. It's actually more tactical, and it's even tougher to score. Everybody can skate. Everybody's in very good shape. and it's a, it was for, So it's an eye-opener. So it's, it's not something of where you're, you're going to lesser hockey. You're going to different hockey. I think that's the misconception over there. Like, oh, I'm going to go to Europe. It's whatever. You know. It's lesser. I mean, yeah, it's not the same, but it's, I wouldn't say it's lesser. Uh, difficult totally different hockey again it's it's there's you know for me it was, it was a great opportunity to challenge my game and, and then also again like sweden is some of the best skaters in the world come out of sweden um yeah. especially the best skating some of the best skating defensemen come out of sweden it's it's oh, like yeah. their skating technique and their footwork and the gym work that goes into it so it's really a great opportunity for players you know to, to have a different avenue um you know, sometimes maybe you're not going to get back. I didn't get back. I tried to come back and play in the A, and this is just too big of a mountain to climb. You know, not being a prospect or a draft pick in, in the Florida Panthers organization, it was, it was, it was. Uh, yeah, I was old enough to know, but it was good enough for me to come back for a year, and be in North America, played the All Star game in Syracuse, which was sick. But for me, I need. That's, where it, yeah, that's I where it was. Yeah, that's where it was. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh man, that's really cool, dude. Yeah, that
0: right? was cool. Yeah, it was sick. Yeah. I was like, Five hundred people in attendance. <laughs> it, was like, <laughs> it was cool. Wow. Was
1: really man. Cool. Okay. And yeah, I guess but, so And you put up pretty good numbers that year, for, like American League numbers.
0: You know yeah, what I mean? No, was okay. I started out hot, and it, and again, it it was uh, you know the, at that point in my career it was the three and threes were tougher, the bus rides were tougher. It, you know, yeah. started out I came in guns blazing. Really, I had a, I had a really hot start. And, Did you? Um, and then you know, kind of a deflator in my sale. Speaking openly, was like they had, you know, they told me, go down and if you take an AHL contract and if, if you're playing well enough and we need you, then we'll, don't worry about that contract situation. And like they had three guys in the top six go down. And at that point, I had like seven goals in 12 games and then it didn't happen. So I was kind of like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay. Hey, I get it though. I was old enough to be able to handle it and not like, yeah, wouldn't, you know. Like, I'm getting screwed or anything like that. It wasn't anything like that. It was a long shot in the first place. Anything extra would have been, it would have been just a kid, you know, whatever, just a cookie on top, so to speak. So I understood they're developing the young guys, blah, 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 all that good stuff. But um, then at that point, it was just really enjoying the year being back in North America. My parents could come to every game pretty close. Not every game, but a lot of the home games they got to come to. And uh, it was good to see a lot of familiar faces, speak some English, go to the store. <laughs> order what yeah. I wanted, you know, and yeah. that sort of thing. But it was good to get that refresher and then go back and kind of finish off my career back in Europe and, and enjoy seeing the world and playing some cool leagues.
1: Yeah, bro, some cool leagues for sure. And, like, I just wanted to mention some of them. Like, I, like I mentioned the KHL, okay? So then we got Austria, you know, we got Switzerland. Now, I heard now, – now, bro, this is what's impressive. You almost had a point per game in the Swiss Elite League. I had heard that at times the Swiss Elite League was the best one. Maybe for different reasons.
0: Yeah. But right? It's totally, so- different. it's totally different brand and it's very fast, very very offensive. It's a bit, it's almost like a mixture of soccer and hockey, you know, the strategy. Wow. You know, you see like a Davos they're like, Davos is like every single second of the game they're trying to spring breakaways, you know, and just back and forth, back and forth hockey. So it's, Wow. Not so much of the, the very small windows of opportunity because it's going so fast back and forth. You know what I mean? Where it's not yeah. so much of that like muck it up in the corner, grind it out, pop it in the middle slot shot. There's not much of that. It's more like, again, very fast back and forth and trying to find a crack in a break for a break away. So different style, totally different style and tough to get points. I mean, you got to have a hot power play and sometimes, you know, finding that chemistry is not guaranteed. So you know it's it's tricky so um totally different Sweden was in my experience and that was a long time ago things have changed it's still a very good league and by t- my opinion back then it was the best, second best outside of the show okay uh, the, the competitiveness of it the structure the style of it like the skill level um it was very very high very good and it was very tough to play in KHL was much different more games more travel um, very good hockey. much better, I guess, much bigger names, you know, and some yeah. some sick high-end level skill guys, like, absolutely. Yeah. The, the overall way that the Swedish game was played was, in my opinion, was the second best. It was just, your game gets so much better playing there. You get no time and space, guys can wield, it's so hard to, to, to turn a defenseman. Even if you turn a defenseman, he still has time to get back, and, and they always get back.
1: <laughs> 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 you know,
0: it's tough, you know, but... Totally different games, and but sweet, uh, Switzerland was, was a, it was a great experience. And the fans are you know played in Bern. They got this building. There's like one section. I think it's six sixteen thousand, and there's like one wall that has like twelve or thirteen thousand fans. Just they stand up the whole time. They get all the you know like the soccer style chants going no and stuff. Way. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's so intense. It's <laughs> a sick barn. So some great experiences along along the journey, man. It's been the yeah yeah suitcase for a little bit, but. No, no, Save but love. that's
1: why it's it's okay to be a suitcase in Europe, man, because
0: you get to see Europe. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Another yeah. place I wanted to mention was the DEL. Now, that's Germany's top league, right, Rob?
0: Yeah, and that, and that was actually, that league was a, it was shocking how good it got, how good it had come. We done, We went and played over in, like, I think it was, like, 2011, 12. We took a little charity tour over there with a, a company, Stop Concussions. Okay. Gary, um, Gary Goulet. And we went over, it was like uh, Brandon Prost, myself, Kyle Quince, Sammy Gagne. There was a group of us that went over. We played some Austrian teams and some German teams. And then the next yeah. year, they came over. So not to say that that's a total indicator of the league, per se, but we get a little sample playing against those guys. So fast forward, four or five, what was that, 2011? So six, 2000, when I played in Nuremberg, 16, I think it was. Two, 2006, 2006 seven.
1: Uh, Sorry, 2016, 2017 season.
0: Yeah. So then, that when I went there and I got a chance to play some actual games, the league, the league, in the parody in the league was unreal. Like the the games were, the skill level was sick, and the players, the German players were really good. There's a, there was a quite a few imports there, but I'm talking the German players.
1: The German players, who, yeah, were,
0: were good, like sick. Our guys okay. on our team, um, Patrick Reimer. There was a few guys that were just really. Just, they, they they were they were the, you know, they drove the boat on our team. It wasn't the imports. We were, like, wow. following in. Yeah, they were, there they was really good news. And then you think about it, too. I think it was 2018, the Olympics. Like, Germany should have won the Olympics. That's right. Should have. They, they lost. They had a power play under two minutes. It was an unfortunate block shot. Russia ties it up. Think of it like yeah. what a could have us, But, like, they sh- technically should have won the Olympics. Like, that says a right. lot. And I know the show guys weren't there, but that doesn't matter. Because it still doesn't matter. Everybody else's teams are without show guys, too, right? So, yeah. Um that tells you a little bit of like how far their development's come and like where they sit as a country as far as their development in hockey and where they sit now in the world. So that the that DEL is it's a very, very good hockey league. And you know, you're seeing some players come out of there now coming over to the show and doing really well. So yeah. Um, it was it was a good eye opener again to see a different part of the world. Again, I, I would have thought like DEL was lower from my experience of just playing some exhibition games, which maybe that's right, maybe it's wrong, but it is what it is. That's what I had. I got a chance to play there and I was like, holy like this is this is really it's good real hockey. Deal. It is really good hockey. I mean, a lot of good players and it was surprising and it was great. So I uh, got a chance to go there and play in the playoffs. Again, my numbers were good in the playoffs. I didn't they played ten games and I jumped from the Swiss league. It was kind of clear that my contract wasn't gonna be renewed after the season. So we were a bottom place team in Switzerland. So Danny and Brandon Press were in Nuremberg. They're like, Shrimpy, come come here, help us win a championship. There's ten games left jump in because there's that there's like a a roster freeze period. You have to change yeah. rosters before that time. There's only like a week left in that. So I just asked the team like what's it's clear that I'm not coming back. Make sure you mind I want to go win a championship. And they, they agreed to it, which I was thankful oh, for. Oh man, we got a chance to go awesome. play with Civi and Prusty and we tried to go for that second championship together. We fell short unfortunately, but it was a great time to see some familiar faces and, and, and play on a really good hockey team in Nuremberg.
1: Man, that's so cool. Man, I I'm I'm blessed to even be hearing some of these stories, Shrempe. But like before we go, bro, I, I I see that November 2018, that's when you like officially announced your retirement, right? But then August 2020, you move to Latvia, you decide that the itch is just too much, or what? what <laughs> you tell me about no. it. Tell
0: me about that. No, no. I was skating in the summertime just for, honestly, just for exercise. It was nice to get out and twirl around. And again, going back to, I'd I'd rather skate than, than, you know, be in the gym, so to speak. But I was skating with a bunch of pro guys and it was the weird time with Kobe. There was like 20 guys here that are really good pro guys that didn't have contracts. So I was out on the ice with them and the rust wasn't as, as rusty as i thought one of the guys came up to me oscar bartolos actually he played for the philadelphia flyers um, organization for a while he's like are you playing i'm like no i'm I'm retired he's like you should play in this uh, the optibet league it's you know it's like basically like it's like a senior a league okay you know, kind of yeah give you yeah sample what it's like it's like a senior a league so i figured yeah you know what the heck jump in because I, I for me i can't turn off the competitiveness so when i play men's league like even like I'm like hard, hey? I was tired. I was playing once or twice a week with men's league, and my wife's like, "You you're like you got to stop." Like I, I'm coming home like fired up. I get fired up. <laughs> I, just, I can't, you know. And I think I had I had two scraps in men's league because I mean it was literally really like, not total scraps like toe to toe. Yeah, yeah. But I threw a guy down like it was. There's also a level of I know I played pro, but there's also a level. I'm not saying I'm Wayne Gretzky, but there's also a level of respect. Like swinging your stick around. Of course. Just because I play pro doesn't mean you get to swing your stick around my face and slash my wrist just because I'm better. Like it's it's one thing when a guy's not very good and he's really trying hard. You get that. But like you know the difference, right? Like not a whole guy on his skates and a guy going like this is much different.
1: Yeah. A guy
0: going like this says like I have no respect for you. I'm going to hurt you. And no, you're not going to yeah. hurt me. Yeah, respect. And I'm, not saying, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I'm the sheriff, but I, I did play with some pretty tough guys. I did scrap with them after Prague. I know how to I know how to fight. Nice.
1: <laughs> nice. I I hear how to you brother. <laughs> Danny
0: Blah Danny Ball grabbed me and it, it showed me the ropes. Dennis Bond. He'd be like, a good oh, teacher. Oh. oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Dennis the Menace would have been the probably the best teacher.
0: He was Most Experienced anyway. Te- technically, he fought my rookie year. I had so much respect for Bones, man. Like this guy was thirty-four when I was twenty. And he was yeah. a great mentor for me. He was a great guy, just a great veteran dude. Just took me under his wing and helped me mature a lot. But Bones was fighting that year. And, I mean, he's 34. He'd done it for a long time. He, had, he didn't have an ACL in either leg, zero ACLs. So his legs were yep. braced up. And he's yep. fighting the, the, you know, goat chase. Everybody. He's fighting uh, Tristan Grant was all fired up at that point. He wanted the shot. And he's fighting everybody and not losing. I, I know. Don't like knocking, knocking people out, but like grab getting in here and grabbing and like just like, wins, win.
1: wins, consecutive wins. wins. Yeah. Very, very yeah, very he's very good, man. He he's I'm a former win. guest on the show.
0: Is he, yeah, bones
1: is oh yeah, guys. he told me all about this year. Yeah. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, man. It was a grind for him. He had to prove that his knees were healthy enough so he could yeah. maybe sign for the next year, but meanwhile he's trying to like nurse them a bit. It was very, very difficult for him.
0: Yeah, so we saw that drug, and we all respected the hell out of him for what he was doing and showing up. And like, that's the other thing: it's we had so much meat. It's like Bones let Carks take that one. Bones is you know Carks is Carks is six four, six five, like a Greek god, shredded. We in and incredible. It's like and Karks used to. Carks could throw with both hands like yeah. The only person I seen throw like that with both hands was uh, Steve McIntyre. Yeah, Steve McIntyre I agree. would throw a bomb. Land it and switch grip at the same it, time, and it was the like, same type and of power. Yeah, hands were both like, and they were. And the thing about Mac and also Carps is like, both arms were so coordinated. These punches were like missiles right at the jawline. It was like, buddy, I don't know who would have Incredible. balls to like fight these guys. Like you, I know you would have stepped in there and taken it. I give you props and respect, and that's why I always fought. You know, I always respect the hell out of the fighters. And if uh, it's a tough, very very tough job, and you guys have, you know brass for doing it and doing it well it's 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 sick it's a great it's such a it's such an art the
1: game. yeah test of the will the game
0: yeah of the will and I've seen a guy like bones show up every single night do it and yeah. it's you got a lot of respect for that
1: right on brother yeah man so yeah that that I appreciate you sharing the the, the Latvia story because Man, that's that's pretty cool. Like they they seen you wheeling around, they're like, man, this guy's better than like everyone we know. Like, is we, is he playing or what? Like that, like that's pretty cool, dude. Must have been yeah, a good just, feeling though, too, right?
0: Well, yeah, and that, and at that point, it's, it's always been, good
1: I mean, to I mean,
0: be wanted. He hadn't been on the ice in like six, seven months. I mean, I just was yeah. like, again, I just like I mean, just move around, get out there, and and. Uh... It doesn't, you know, that's the thing, like, from the younger years, how much time I put into this thing, that's, I guess that's what I've earned out of it. It's, it doesn't leave.
1: <laughs> it just oh, wow. sticks around,
0: you know? That's, that's, yeah, dude. It's, it's encouraging. I always, now I still get, I get calls, like, my buddy wants me to go play in France, and I, my wife has like, you're not going to be like, no, <laughs> no, no. But what if you tell her
1: that it, there's a special team on an island in the south of France, <laughs> and that the wives <laughs> have to come? <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> she'll see,
0: yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I hear you, bro. I hear you. I understand. I'm doing my
0: thing now. Doing my thing now and it's more I enjoyed I do enjoy it more doing giving back to the game now, working with players and kinda like passing along the, the knowledge and the skills and, and showing what it takes to kind of build them up and um, you know, at it's it's gratifying to give that to someone and have them implement it and then they come back to you like it worked. And the first thing is like would you think I told you cuz it didn't work? <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's like you think it you think I was going to tell you so you go run to the wall or something. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I did so, but I know it's gratifying and I love I love what I'm doing now. So it's it's been a it's been a cool journey in the game and circling back and staying involved and you know, a lot of great people through the ride. A lot of people gave me a lot of things. So it's it's fun again to circle that back now and and work with players and give them that information and don't let it die with me
1: awesome buddy dude honestly man i haven't had so much fun in an episode in a very very long time i appreciate your you know that you, how incredible of a storyteller you are though right like you're like <laughs> nice. trust me man you're 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 gonna be in in the business um i gotta put you on the hot spot for for a second here though buddy all
0: right because i gotta
1: i gotta ask you if you if you'll come back for a part two
0: Sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. I got (laughs) slipped on the hot seat. Okay. So fair enough. Fair enough. So, okay. Awesome, man. Because I know like, like honestly, Robbie, like the stories and there's so much more that we can get into that like, I just, I mean, your, your wife's probably going to literally, you know, find out my address and, and and send me death threats for keeping her husband all these things yeah. but no honestly man there's there's a there was a few more things i want to get in with you um and i know that this is absolutely golden content so i really appreciate you agreeing to come back it's a really really big deal to me man you're one of my favorites buddy and i and i just appreciate i love talking you. to you in general um but i, I want to thank the listeners for tuning into another episode of the sheriff featuring the all-time special guest best puck handler in the world, Mr. Robbie. Thank you very much. We're going to sign out right now, guys. Woo!